Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Wow, what a week, huh? We had, uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still uh, flying from that, uh, that wonderful interview we had with, uh, actually discussion with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, that was on no. Um, Wednesday or Thursday, I've forgotten already. I think it was Wednesday, oh, today's Friday. Yeah, Wednesday, a couple of days ago. Uh, it was just incredible. And just to be uh, a part of something like that, to be able to, that's, that's, you know, that's a lot of why I got into radio, to be able to talk to the most interesting people on the planet. And that includes you know, Dr. Peter McCullough. And so it was especially rewarding that he really likes our vaccine product liability bill. And I think as he gets to know our, our uh our bill to eliminate uh, big tech censorship, I think he'll be equally approving of that as well. And so I'll ask him about endorsing those bills after he's had a chance to get to know them and, and see what he thinks. But uh, that would add his name to uh, a really inspiring list, especially on vaccine product liability. Uh, Dr. Zelenko endorsed that bill. I think he was the, he was the first one to endorse it. Dr. Judy Mikovits uh, and various other folks, Jerome Bell, who was on the show yesterday, uh, endorses vaccine product liability. In fact, anybody who, except for Pfizer, <laughs> you know, except for the vaccine companies uh, and the members of Congress to take their money, uh, that's, that's our biggest obstacle. Of course, big pharma doesn't have liability. You know, they, they don't care if, you're, if your local uh, you know, auto mechanic or donut shop has liability. But they, they just don't want it for themselves. And they're a multi, you know, probably multi-trillion dollar, you know, multinational, you know, corporate uh, cabal. You know, especially with big government that makes money too, licenses, fees, you know, royalties, all the stuff that Dr. Fascist uses to make money uh, that we've known about. So it's, it's all, it's, you know, follow the money. And we keep saying that and it's true every time. Follow the money and you will, uh, it'll lead you, you know, lead you to the, the, the guilty, the, the, uh, the sociopath, the psychopath, you know, the people that uh, don't care how many people die as long as, you know, they make money. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of folks like that scattered throughout society and especially government. So that was a fabulous interview. Today, we were supposed to have Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch. He's going to reschedule for soon. I don't know exactly when. Still working on getting uh, Dr. Latipo, uh, the Surgeon General of Florida here. That's, that's been a, a challenge because he's busy, too. I mean, it could, you know, th- that's uh, the problem. The most interesting people in the world are also the busiest. <laughs> that's kind of how it works. So we, uh, we do what we can to try and get them here. Um, I do have a classic uh, WBY interview for, with Carrie Lightfoot, and she was one of the first uh, I think uh, professional women and guns person that I spoke to. And I think a lot of why I have, you know, Shirley watch and, uh, you know, focus a lot on women and guns uh, in particular is because of that interview with Carrie Lightfoot. I mean, it was great. She was brilliant. Uh, and this is back in uh, November of 2017. So I've got that classic interview. I'll play that sometime, you know, later we've got, uh, and that's why I started the show a little later today. Uh, Shirley's at the shot show. And she's happily posting all over Facebook, so I'm not revealing any secrets here. Uh, that's where I would love to be. And we've got pro-gun legislation. I'd love to be able to talk to uh, some of the major gun manufacturers and, and active groups, pro-Second Amendment groups, and say, hey, we've got legislation. You know, can, you, can you back us up? And, of course, hopefully uh, a lot of those bigger companies like the, the Sig Sauer's, the Glocks, the Ruger's, Smith & Wesson's, things like that, uh, would, would support Action Radio through our Give, Send, Go program. That's givesendgo.com slash actionradio, givesendgo.com slash actionradio, uh, or, or do commercials you know, with us and support us that way. And so uh, that, that's a great way to do it also. And as the show grows, which it is, I mean, that interview Wednesday was huge. And so that's a great way to break through our censorship uh, is to have someone like Dr. McCullough on who's broken through himself. 
he was censored uh, and, and still is to a large extent. But, you know, the, there's a way to fight that, and that's, you know, sharing. And so sharing the bills here, sharing our shows, uh, breaks us through the censorship. And hopefully Blog Talk will, will pick up on that and, and start, you know, featuring our show too. Uh, Blog Talk's pretty good. We, we figured out what, you know, they, they figured out, excuse me, what happened earlier in the week. And uh, the website was shut down. And then when it came back on, I'm guessing something didn't quite work right. And that's why we didn't have Tuesday's show. But we're here now. And like I say, Wednesday's show was the one that counted. <laughs> that was the one I really wanted uh, with Dr. McCullough. I'll probably have a press release, you know, talking about that and uh, talking about our, our bills. Now, if you're new to the show and you want to find our, our legislation, you go to writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And the ones that we're sending out to the various legislatures, both Congress, the state legislatures, and local governments, if you, if you go to the legislation uh, item on the menu bar, click that. First, you're going to find where to write your own law. That's propose a new law. Uh, second one is citizen bill ideas. That's kind of like our, our committee hearing. That's where we work on bills. And the third one is all proposed laws. And every once in a while, one of those things jumps right to that. Uh, and that's the case of the law that uh, I posted last night that was written um, with uh, Diane Warner. Well, she wrote it. <laughs> I helped a little bit, kind of, you know, little, uh, occasional little, uh, you know, suggestions here and there. But uh, it's, it's uh, mostly her work. And so that bill's there now, too. That's our Florida Election Integrity Bill. And so there's a lot of good things in that. You want to take a look at that as soon as possible. So I'll have Diane uh, back. Well, she's back regularly Wednesday anyway. So we'll be talking about, about her bill then. And so that's, that's critical, too. But this is how it works. You know, look at someone like Diane Warner. I mean, she, you know, first I, I, I think I met her at one of the rallies, the medical freedom rallies. And as uh, she got more interested in what we do here now, she started off you know, as a guest and then a reporter and, and now moderating you know, our election integrity uh, uh, Facebook page and now writing bills. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't stop. So the opportunities here, it's, it's as far as you want to take it. The more you want to do, the more you can do. It's, it's really that simple. And that goes for any of our folks, uh, you know, from, from uh, you know, one-time guests um, to reporters to bill writers to uh, lobbyists to who knows what. I mean, that's the whole point of Action Radio is to take people and let them go. <laughs> You know, and just and see what happens. It, 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 that's that's the, the the big thrill for me to be able to do that. So that's really encouraging. Anyway, we've got half an hour. Derek's coming on uh, at the bottom of the hour, and we've got less than half an hour now. Uh, with Derek Park with uh, the economic report, and a couple of things I'm going to be finding out about. Uh, the biggest one, of course, being the big lie. And the big lie is that if we don't increase the debt ceiling, we'll default on our obligations. That's not true. If we cut our spending, we won't default either. <laughs> okay. They say they don't talk about that. They don't talk about that because they're addicted to spending. Uh, Congress and the federal government is absolutely addicted, obsessed with spending us into economic suicide. And the only solution I can think of, because they, they, they don't want to balance budget amendment, they, they don't want to cut spending, uh, they don't want to oversight, they don't care about the elections, the elections are stolen, they don't care about anything. You know, as lo- they're like drug addicts. As long as they get their fix, you know, money is their fix. And as long as they can keep you know, shooting up with our money, then, uh, they're, then they're happy. You know, but they keep wanting more and more. And now they're getting trillions, trillions of dollars, you know, for like, and they call, oh, it's, it's for COVID. No, it's not. <laughs> it's for you. It's for your pockets. It's your reelection campaigns. Don't kid us. And yet we have to pay for it and pay for the interest on, on their economic suicide. Well, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be a part of economic suicide. So I'm going to tell you the truth. There is no reason to default ever on U.S. obligations. Simply don't make them in the first place. You know, cut spending. You know, all that, all that whatever COVID money hasn't been spent, Stop spending it. You know, take, uh, 
you know, do one bill per year. So one year they, they spent two trillion on COVID stuff. So the next year you take two trillion off the budget. Sorry, right, you only get three trillion instead of five trillion. That's it. We're going to make that up. Set the next year you do the same thing. So well, you spent one point seven on uh, um, on this latest inflation thing. So okay, so we're going to cut one point seven trillion from the next budget. You know, and below revenue. <laughs> you know, we're going to take that money and, and you know pay off the debt. Or you do what I want to do, which is which is uh, I think the best way: a constitutional amendment that literally takes away the power of Congress to borrow money. You just take that one sentence that says uh, Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, and you just take it out. Just amend the Constitution to remove that sentence. At that point, all borrowing stops. All inflation stops. The value of the money increases. You don't need the Fed because the monetary supply will be constant. Uh, if not, we can make it constant. You can go back to a gold standard if you want. Don't have to, though. As long as Congress stops borrowing money, it stops inflation. All your money gets more valuable you know, as, as the country increases, as the economy grows, and the prices drop. So, so where's the downside? There isn't one, except for Congress. But you know, who cares? They're not, we're not here to serve them. They're here to serve us. So let's get back to the World Economic Forum cult. The, the cultist leaders, the, the people that are, and I saw this on the news last night, one of the reporters, I think it's a Japanese reporter, you know, they're not elected, they're, they're not appointed, they're, they're self-appointed. They're the self-appointed world government cult. They are the world-ending forum. You know, this, this whole meeting is about how the world's going to end, you know, with, you know uh, and they don't believe that. They don't believe that for a second. That's why they fly in private jets and, uh, you know, gas guzzle cars and eat meat. <laughs> they do all the things. We've got a Facebook post to, to that effect. They're doing all the things that they're telling us not to do because they know the world's not going to end. You know, they just want us to think the world's going to end and that they're the solution to it. So I've got a couple of articles here, but we've got Pianca in the line, so let me get to him, and then we'll get to uh, uh, Derek at the bottom of the hour. And uh, it's kind of our Friday free-for-all, so if you want to join us, 215-383-3832. Good morning, sir. How you doing? And I'll tell you, there's one thing about uh, what Martin Luther King said, truth trampled through the earth will rise again. Good. We stand it happen. On a lot of these subjects, especially your favorite, and that's the vaccination. Do tell. What you got? Well, you've got uh, this one independent news source caught up with uh, the CEO of Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And you can get it on Rumble, but uh, some news, some uh, social media sites don't care. <clears throat> but he was asking some hard questions. And he refused to answer. Well, of course. <laughs> but he doesn't and have to answer. But he's, yeah. well, he's not liable for anything. He doesn't. He doesn't have to answer anything. He doesn't care. But you know another thing too. At the end of that video, mm-hmm. they are. It's a lady on there that's talking about nitric oxide pills, which will relieve the thickening of your cardiac, I guess you can say arteries, right? Okay. What have we heard recently? Nitrous oxide. Is it nitrous or nitrous? Nitrous oxide. What have we heard that word at here recently? Nitric oxide is what's given off when you use gas burning stoves, and Joe Biden wants to get rid of them. The nitric oxide helps your heart, apparently. Okay, wait a minute. I think – I don't know because I'm, I've got an article on, on the stoves. Um, I can check it out in a minute. I think there's two different things. Stoves are methane. 
uh, methane, C C H four. Is methane? That's what that's what natural that's natural gas. That's what's being burned in the stoves. If it's nit- yeah, but nitrous it's natural oxide, gas, but when it burns, it's a different thing. Hey, right. I heard okay. him say it. I heard okay, him say it's nitrous oxide. It causes asthma. Crazy fools. Let me see if exactly. Let me see if I can find that article. I've got anyway, uh, I've got several of them. Show. No, no, don't you're fine. No, no, it's okay. This is this is a good point. Um, I just want to make sure because I've I've got something on this. I just want to make sure I find it. Let me see if I can find my, my gas stove thing here. This will just take me a minute. I try well, I'm I getting better at grouping. What's I that? was listening to the report mm-hmm. when they started talking about it. And apparently the news source that's made mention about it causes asthma in kids. And then they went that's on to explain. Well, that's what they said. <clears throat> then it went on to explain what uh, is the byproduct of uh, your burner being on cooking, and uh, you know they made mention about nitric oxide. Well, here's what I found. I, I found the article I was looking for, and so let me uh, let me move mm-hmm. my World Economic Forum news, and we can pick it up later. Um, here's one. It's from Daily Signal from January 13th, so it's just a few days ago. Experts explain real reason Biden administration suggested banning uh, gas stoves. So let's get into this one here. This is a great topic. Uh, in fact, I had this post on Facebook, too, in a, in a few different places. This is by Virginia Allen. And, again, it was written by written on January 13th. So that would have been Friday, <laughs> Friday the 13th, because I remember that from, uh, from last week. She says, someone cooked this up. This is one expert of the Biden administration's claims that gas stoves pose a health hazard. Stephen Milloy, that's M-I-L-L-O-Y, author of multiple books, including Green Hell and Scare Pollution. Oh, he sounds like a good person is one of several experts in energy, the environment, and public health who are calling the administration's bluff on the danger of gas stoves. This is all part of the anti-fossil fuel movement, or as I would call it, the anti-organic fuel movement, because we, we correct the words here. He, said, he also, Malloy, who is also the founder of the website Junk Science, oh, I've seen that. Okay, now I know who we're talking about, said there's no emission of a gas stove that is an allergen that would cause asthma, which is fascinating. So the asthma is caused by allergens. Well, what, 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 uh, what do we know uh, causes uh, allergic reactions? What were we talking about earlier? Do you remember? No. Vaccines. Vaccines. Vaccines cause allergic reactions. Oh, yeah. So vaccines the, cause drastic right. reactions. So the yeah. rise in asthma, autism, all these other neuro- neurological disorders, everything that we've been talking about, as well as myocarditis, you know, to get the physical and the mental effects. We talked about the mental effects yesterday uh, of vaccines. That's what the problem is. It's not the gas stoves. That's, <laughs> that's just nuts. Anyway, he says... Well, uh, I understand that, but I'm just going by what they said. Uh-huh. And, and, and millions and millions and millions of people heard what they said on the report saying that burning, uh, using a gas stove that produces this gas, nitric oxide. And I remember that. Then I'm looking at this video, and this lady is talking about these nitric oxide herbal pills that actually help to uh, prevent the heart uh, valves from thickening, which causes these problems that people have been having when they drop dead after taking this uh, vaccine. Okay, this is interesting. So what they're using, they're, 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 they want people to take the gene jab, uh, and then they want to take another drug uh, rather than not taking the gene jab in the first no, place. No, they you know don't want you to take the drug. This is what don't. it is. The gene jab, what it does to the heart, mm-hmm. it right. stiffens the, the valve. The, and I don't know the proper terminology for that. 
but it makes them stiff. And that's when you have these heart attacks. Uh-huh. But then they say that you got to get rid of these gas stoves because they release nitric oxide. Okay. Nobody say anything about that. Now, I just seen at the end of this video where they was talking about these these nitric oxide pills, and they say that the nitric oxide pills, the medicine, actually makes the valve pliable and not stiff where it causes these problems. So that's why I had a correlation between nitric oxide being talked about here and nitric oxide being talked about before as a reason to get rid of the gas stoves. Interesting. No, and I, I didn't know about that. That's why I, you know, I ask questions, not because I, I'm disputing what you're saying, but because I'm curious. I don't know. So I just did a real quick search here online. We've got how bad is it really to use a gas stove? And this is from January 11th, so just a little bit ago. Uh, it says, uh, this is from uh, Madeline H. Burry uh, and in the website livestrong.com. And she says, a stove was the centerpiece of, hang on, uh, let's see if I can get this to start this article here. They're flipping ads at me. Stove is the centerpiece of your kitchen. Like your refrigerator, it's an appliance that you, that's used a lot. That ever-present quality can make your, your range feel uh, unremarkable. But in recent years, gas stoves have become the subject of headlines and legislation. Many cities, including New York, Los Angeles, and Berkeley, <laughs> recently banned gas stoves along with gas-powered heaters and boilers from new buildings, Berkeley being the first to enact this type of ordinance in 2019. Well, of course Berkeley did. I used to live next to Berkeley. <laughs> So I know about Berkeley. Anyway, and in 2022, the American Medical Association passed a resolution calling for education about the health-related risks of gas stoves, along with the supporting programs to encourage an equitable transition to electric stoves. In other words, mono-energy, mono-government energy. But she says if you're part of the roughly 35% of Americans who use gas stoves per the U.S. Energy Information Administration, here's what you need to know. She says when you cook food using a gas stove, it leads to the emission of carbon. Oh, stop at the pop-up ads. Leads to the emission of carbon monoxide, various pollutants, formaldehyde, and particulate matter. Da, 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 da. Uh, so that's from Qing Fang Zhang, an air pollution specialist with the Health and Exposure Assessment Branch in the California Air Resources Board. Well, they're a bunch of Nazis on the California Resources Board. They don't even like fires. You can't even fire in your home. Uh, da, da. Okay, so NOx. This is the one you're talking about. At the center of the conversation, nitrogen oxides, NOx, which includes both nitric oxide, NO, and nitrogen dioxide, NO2. Uh, so exposure to nitrogen dioxide is hard on people with asthma and increases the risk of respiratory infections. Okay, so this is, hang on. Uh, All right. Yeah, so that's the bad news. That's, <laughs> let me see if I can get you the yeah. good news. <laughs> that's the, so, they're, so they're saying that this is a problem. So let me see if I can find one on nitric oxide. Oh, here we go. Nitric oxide and cardiac function. Nitric oxide participates in the control and contractibility of the heart rate, limits cardiac after infection, infarction, <laughs> and contributes to the protective effect. Uh, oh, so here's the good. All right, roll. Uh, let's go to PubMed. I think this is your your government at work. National Library of Medicine from the National Institute for Health. Nitric oxide participates in the control of contractibility and heart rate. Well, contractibility is your ability of the heart to contract and pump blood. I'm guessing. Limits cardiac remodeling after infarction and contributes to the protective effect of ischemic pre- and post-conditioning. I have no idea what that means. Low concentrations of NO, nitrous oxide, with production of small amounts of CGMP inhibit 
phos- uh, skip the, the gobbledygook. The subsequent activation of protein, da, da, da. oh, this is too constant. Yeah. High concentrations of NO induce the production of larger amounts of something else, which are responsible for cardio depression. Oh, I can't read this. <laughs> Let me find something that's in English. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Well, it's confusing. Well, yeah, that there says that is great for helping your heart to pump blood. Yeah. But Joe Biden is saying that the stove is putting out nitric oxide, which is dangerous for you. So, yeah. it, that's well, what, so that is what they're trying to push, getting rid of a legal way, or should I say a medical way, to get rid of these gas stoves. Yeah, these well, people it's are slick, man. Well, they want mono energy, you know, and they want one source of energy and they want it to be government energy because electricity is the most easily controlled form of energy. They just meter it at your smart meter. All those smart meters in everybody's home, they control how much electricity you get. I mean, that's what they're for. You people thought it was a better way to monitor. Now they actually regulate your electricity. Whereas with gasoline, you can buy as much gasoline as you want or as you can afford. You know, if you want coal, oil, you know, things like that, you know, you can, you can buy as much as you can afford. But with electricity, it's the one thing that they'll meter at, at the source as opposed to, uh, you know, the other things. I mean, they can, they can stop the pipelines. They can do other stuff. But electricity is the easiest way to control absolutely everybody, simply metering your smart meter as to how much you get. Now, what's interesting, well, here's you a really good – go ahead. You cannot plug a stove into a wall outlet. You have to have an electrician come, you have to take out permits, submit a plan, and you have to put in a higher amperage service. Hell, just a stove itself is about 50 amps. Then you're talking about a furnace, too. You're talking about maybe three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 worth of electrical work and wiring mm-hmm. that has to right. be done to remove the stove and furnace that's operating off the of gas. What poor people can afford that? Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense. And, and there's, what's, there's nothing wrong with gas. We've used gas, uh, I don't know what, since the early 1900s? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You know, ever since they could run gas lines? You know, yeah. so gas has been around for a long time. So, so the fact, well, here's what disputes the whole theory. Uh, this, the recent rise in, uh, in asthma corresponds directly to the, to the increase of use of vaccinations in children. So that's, that's easy to see. Whereas we've got a hundred, you know, um, over 100 years of use of natural gas in all kinds of areas where the rate of asthma was pretty consistent. So that disputes it there. What else, is, uh, this is a good reason to raise this issue, is that you notice those first two sources I read from are government sources, and they say how nitrous oxide mm-hmm. is a problem, right? That's just like you look yeah. at all the government sources of climate change. They all say it's doom and gloom. We're all going to die. The private sources, like Gregory Wrightstone at the CO2 Coalition, it's a bunch of nonsense. CO2 is great. Plants breathe it. You know, we've got our fooding is increasing and everything's great. We need more carbon dioxide. So that's the difference between government sources and private sources. Government sources have a political agenda. Uh, in other words, and it usually involves increasing government power. So let's look at the same thing with, uh, with the gene jab, okay, with the COVID shot, the snake oil. The government sources say, take it. It's safe and effective. The private sources say, this is nuts. This is a flu bug. What are you, you're going to kill people. They're going to drop dead on football games. Okay? So we all knew this was going to happen. And, of course, it did. Right? Same thing with nitrous oxide. Go ahead. Guess what else? Tell In me. In places like India mm-hmm. and developing countries that don't use natural gas <laughs> because they don't have it, they use biogas from human waste, and it gives off nitrogen, gives off the same 
not with nitric nitric oxygen. It gives well, off the same. Oxide. Yeah, it gives off the same nitric oxide. So what they're going to do is they're going to want the billions and billions of people to India. They want to mm-hmm. sell them electric stoves. Yeah, the, well, they want to they want to have everybody on electricity because electricity is the most controllable form of energy. That's my theory. You know, so if everything, if the car is on electricity, they can control your travel. If your house is on electricity, they can meter how much power you get, you know, how much internet you're going to have. They can meter everything through the, the smart meter in your home and your business so they can control how much power businesses have. You know, so this is all about, this is all about control. Now, I didn't know about nitric oxide. I heard nitrous oxide. That's what you get in the dentist, you know, laughing gas. I thought that was laughing gas. This ain't well, nothing to laugh at, man. Well, no, there's a difference. Now, now we got to find out what. So now we're going to look up. This is my next thing to look up before Derek gets here. Is the difference between nitrous oxide and nitric oxide? Because there's a difference. It's probably like a hydrogen atom. I'll bet you, bet you. Anyway, but one atom makes all the difference in a molecule. So it says, and this is from Health Directions. This is a private website, right? Stephen Sinatra, Doctor Stephen Sinatra. I wonder if he's a descendant. Hey, Stephen Sinatra. Okay. Anyway, benefits of nitric oxide for heart health. So here's the opposite. Since few people realize it, but nitric oxide, NO, is the most important chemical compound for cardiovascular health. Well, gee, we didn't hear that in the government websites, did we? <laughs> he said, having adequate nitric oxide production is the first step in a chain reaction that promotes healthy cardiovascular function. In other words, contractions, right? And having insufficient amounts of nitric oxide can trigger a cascade of destruction that eventually results in heart disease. Wow. Nitric oxide has several important heart benefits. It promotes healthy dilation of your veins and arteries. That's what you're talking about, the opening up, right? Uh, so, so blood can move through your body. That lowers blood pressure. Plus, it says it prevents red blood cells from sticking together and creating dangerous clots and blockages. Exactly what you get from the COVID shot. This is fascinating. He says your body naturally generates nitric oxide in the endothelium, oh, we've got bigger words again, that line the blood vessel walls. But in the early stages of arterial disease, this lining is damaged, which chokes off the production of nitric oxide, making the vessels vulnerable to inflammation and other negative factors. What causes inflammation? Sugar. Sugar is your biggest enemy. Sugar will kill you. This is how can you ensure your heart has enough nitric oxide? Sinatra. Say that again? Stephen Sinatra. Okay, I got that order. I've got you under my skin. I'm just a little Frank Sinatra. Don't mind me. Um, yeah, okay, fine. New York, <laughs> New York. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's not my favorite song by him. His voice was terrible by the time he sung that song. Oh, he sounded awful. Well, too much smoking and drinking. You know, Frank Sinatra said, uh, you only live once, and the way I live, once is enough. I'm drunk. That's <laughs> what killed that? Sammy Davis. Stroke cancer. You know that? Sammy Davis Jr. Stroke yeah. cancer killed him. Well, they he all smoked. smoked. The Rat Pack, they, you know, yeah, the, the Rat Pack. And here's the, yeah, it was Peter Lawford, uh, Frank Sinatra, and Sammy Davis Jr. I don't know how Lawford got in there. No, it was uh, Jerry, Lu- Jerry Lee Lewis. No, not Jerry Lee Lewis. Maybe Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis, yeah, I'm sorry, not Jerry Lee Lewis. <laughs> and his cousin, it was Jerry Lewis. Yeah. The yeah, it could comedian. be just four of them. But I know Peter Lawford was in there too, and he's a British actor. He got in there, but he was more of a, a I get, well, he's more of a movie actor, I think. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll look, we'll look at the Brat Pack. Uh, we've only got a few minutes before Derek gets here. So this is nitric oxide. Or right, here we go. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have. I tried to mute myself. Uh, since your body naturally generates it. Okay, we got. Uh, 
but in the early stages of arterial disease, this lining is damaged, which chokes off the production of nitric oxide, making the vessels vulnerable to inflammation and other negative factors. Okay, so here we go. How can you ensure your heart has enough nitric oxide? There are several uh, ways to help ensure you have enough nitric oxide for your heart, including exercise, which we all know. I mean, I'm, I'm in the gym and I'm on the bike and I'm, I'm doing my bit. Eating, eat organic kale and beet juice. See, I love beets, especially pickled beets. And make beet sure you get juice. them without the high fructose corn syrup. You've got to make sure that you get them natural, you know, no high fructose corn syrup or you're defeating the purpose. Yeah, Pianchi, go ahead. Yeah, I like beet juice too. Mm-hmm. But well, what like we're showing here, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we here is how you got the government reports is telling you one thing, mm-hmm. and then they're telling you that trying to get you to act out of the behavior, like get rid of your gas appliances. But you got health telling you another thing about the benefits of this gas, nitric acid. You know, the air you breathe is 78% nitrogen. Yeah. Yeah. I think, wait a minute, I think it's, I could be wrong. I think it's 72 and isn't oxygen 22? And that would leave like 1%? Is no, maybe it is 78%. No, I think you're right. If it's 78%. Uh, and then 22% on top of that, 78, no, that would be, maybe it's 21%. 1%, it's like 78, you nitrogen. You got 1% of the gases out there, healing right. and, and all that Including carbon, carbon dioxide, yeah. So, 70, okay, so I think yeah, you're right. 78 nitrogen, 20, 21 oxygen, and then 1% everything else. That would be 100. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Anyway, so this is the so go to healthy directions, and if you want to keep your your nitrous oxide up, uh, that would be uh, beet juice or beets, you know, and exercise. Well, I do that already. It's probably why my heart's in great shape, even though I had you know massive uh, heart surgery. I want to protect the work, the good work those doctors did, because a I never want to go through that again. I don't know. No, one time for open heart surgery is plenty. <laughs> you don't do that again. But another way, what if you can eat? Go ahead. What if you can eat a raw beet like an apple? Um, I don't know. I like them pickled. Apparently pickling uh, doesn't remove the nutritional value, but it does increase the digestibility. So pickling is not a bad thing. Same thing with mm-hmm. cans. Canning preserves vegetables. People say, well, it's out of a can. It's no good. That's actually not true because vegetables are usually harvested at the peak time, something that you can't always predict when you buy fresh, especially if it sits around for a while, either in the store or in your you know, fridge or cupboard or things like that. Um, but, uh, but canned stuff is actually not that bad, depending. Now, I don't yeah. know if it works for, for salmon and tuna. I'd rather cook my own, but, you know, that's expensive. So anything else on – let me see what we've got. Well, let me go back to this other oh, – there's Derek. Let's, let's take Derek first, and we can come back to this. Uh, you know, I, I don't we, – we got like two hours after, after uh, Derek's here, so we've got plenty of time to talk about this. I want to ask him about Janet Yellen and the lie that if we don't raise the debt ceiling, you know, we're going to default. She's a Russian in the middle of that, don't you? She's Russian? Yes. Janet Yellen. Well, she learned her economics in communist country. You know, she thinks you can only destroy the, uh, you, you, you have to raise debt ceiling. You don't have to do that. You cut spending, you have same outcome, and you don't have problems to worry about. Okay, let's bring on Derek and see what he thinks of my Russian accent. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets, oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, 
Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the market and your money. So what do you think of gas stoves in the market? <laughs> What's going on with our mono energy? Um, Good morning, sir. I'm more partial to the assault gas stoves. <laughs> okay. Does that have more? Does that have six or more burners? I mean, uh, define, it, please. It does, and it and it's got more aggressive knobs for better firing. <laughs> does it have a faster primer or ignition source? <laughs> Anything that makes it assault, <laughs> and, oh and and it's painted jet black to make it look more aggressive. That's true. And has a, they have pistol grip on the uh, on the on the knobs. <laughs> <laughs> Have you have you seen those memes going around? No, I haven't. No, I, but this is hysterical. Send me one. Post it to our, our economics report, or put it on the gun report. I don't care. We got we got pages for everything. Where, where, where did you find these? Do they have pistol uh, grips just, on the knobs? People people post in it. They're like, this uh-huh. is a stove. This is an assault stove. Um, oh, here it is. Here. Hold on. Yeah, Here. send it over when you get a chance. That's funny. Do you know this is actually really I, encouraging? I, it, I just saw one, so I'm I'm sending it to your uh, to your Facebook thing here. Oh, thank you. This is an, this is an example of one that I've seen. I just I just sent it to you. Okay, let me check on the phone simply because uh, if I do it um, on on the computer, it sort of ties up some of my my RAM or oh, gee, there it is. <laughs> That's hysterical. What's it got? It's got tw- it's like um, uh, eleven knobs. <laughs> it's got all kinds of things. Assault-style gas stove featuring high-capacity knobs, pre-2023. That's funny. This is the, the reason I say it's so encouraging is because mass psychosis, you know, the thing that, that, that sort of uh, engulfs so many of us, you know, of the, not, not us here, but I'm just talking about the population. You know, 40% of the people were completely terrified by COVID. And, and the, mass, the way to get around mass psychosis is, one, the truth, which is what we broadcast here, uh, two, ridicule. <laughs> You know, and that's what you're doing with the, the assault stove. That's ridicule. And the third way is a parallel structure. In other words, we have a citizen legislature writing the laws that Congress, the state legislatures, and the local governments seem incapable of doing, even though it's the right thing to do, like our constitutional amendment to uh, remove the power of Congress to borrow money. So number two is yeah. ridicule. And so the more ridicule out there, the more encouraging it is. People are making fun of everything. You know, ever since Brandon, I think that was like the turning point when we went from compliance to resistance. And people said, wait a minute, they start calling him Brandon. Well, ever since then, he's been a joke. And this is just a, another in the long line of, of things that have been made fun of. You know, like his green energy. Yeah. Like I, put, I had a meme made, you know, that uh, with, with Brandon is, is green Corvette. I said, this is not green energy. <laughs> so, you know, we have our fun. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, I, just, I, just you, I just sent you another one, and here's one more coming. Because I, I knew there was, there was three that I had seen. You're having way too much fun, aren't you? I can tell. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I find it comical with all the stuff that that blew up about a gas stove because, you know, uh-huh. uh, I think it was Jill Biden that posted a picture with a gas stove, and you know, you know, people are like, hey, you know, is that a gas stove? Aren't you guys trying to ban gas? Well, <laughs> no, that but it, that's like that post I have that I found somewhere on Facebook is talking about. It has a picture of all the Gulf Streams, all the Gulf Stream jets at Davos. You know, and oh, so yeah. these are the people that, that uh, want to take away your ability to, to use gasoline, to fly on a jet, to eat meat, and everything else. And then uh, while they're doing exactly the same thing themselves, well, that, that totally proves that they don't believe it. They just want to use this yeah. for control. <clears throat> did, you, uh, did, you, did you see that, uh, the, the, the guest list that was there? Yes, I did. Yeah, I posted yeah, it. Yeah, it's on uh, 
that 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 well, should uh, that, the, that should scare you a little bit. I mean, like, why is Christopher Ray? Why why mm-hmm. is he there? You know, mm-hmm. explain to me what, what what purpose the the head of the FBI has at that thing. Well, to get instructions, obviously. <laughs> he needs a briefing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, why is it's, it's, yeah. It's any, I would say any any American politician or anybody that's involved in law enforcement or anything over there, um, you know that that's room for suspicion is the way I see it and my personal opinion. Well, some of the people in fact, we post a list. Uh, I don't know who stands to you, but I remember uh, Chris Ray, uh, Governor uh, Kemp of Georgia is there. Um, some yeah. of, a lot of our media media people are there. Uh, some of the international folks, Jacinda, who just resigned from uh, Arden or whatever her name is from New Zealand. I'm going to have a friend of mine uh, who's in New Zealand. He moves here from the United States. I'm going to get him on fairly soon um, talking about that, that the, what, what's happening in New Zealand. But you look at this. I'm just going to my international group here. Let me see if I can find it. I've got to scroll down a bit. Uh, and I had the U.S. list posted. Oh, yeah, there's the, uh, those folks. There's Jacinda. There's Elon Musk. There's a couple of other things. i got a bunch of – oh, here it is. Here's my guest list. I need to blow this up a little bit. Uh, John F. Kerry, you know, the, the, the climate idiot. Uh, Catherine Tai, U.S. Trade Representative, Martin Walsh, Secretary of Labor, Samantha Power, U.S. Agency for International Development. She's one of the Pianchi told us she's one of the the, the three harpies, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, the three musketeers of Obama. Uh, Everell Haynes, U.S. Director of National Intelligence. Interesting. Christopher Ray, we mentioned Brian Kemp, Christopher Coons, Democrat Senator, Daryl Issa, Republican uh, Representative, Gregory Meeks, Congressman from New York. Gretchen Whitmer, the, the, the witch of, um, <laughs> of Michigan. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, who just banned the guns he can't ban. Uh, James Risch, Senator from, Ohio, from Idaho. Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, the people most likely to be Republicans, but not now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maria Cantwell, Maria Elvio Salazar, Gallagher, Congressman from Wisconsin, Republican, allegedly good guy. Isn't he the one that they had to restrain <laughs> from beating up Matt Gates? This is the one that, someone, someone grabbed him, or maybe he's the one that did the grabbing, uh, and a couple of other people in Congress. Yeah, that's the guest list. Who's wow. who of the traitor? Yeah, no, I, for, I, yeah. Saw, I saw stuff uh-huh. on there and was just, uh, just, just a, little, a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is anybody uh, – well, see, and I've been reading stuff from the, the World Economic Forum, or as I call them, the World Ending Forum all week, and the words they never mention, freedom, liberty, <clears throat> individual – Rights, you know, uh, you know, constitution, limited government. These things they don't enter. It's always you know totalitarian, you know, international cooperation, public-private, you know, partnership. All this kind of group talk. It's it's a fascinating thing. So what's is there anything on the market? Is Wall Street uh, the writers, the 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 pundits, the the uh, the people that uh, say they know what they're talking about? Uh, Are they talking about this World Economic Forum and how much sway does this forum have uh, anymore? What do you think? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that, like what kind of sway they have. Um, you know, uh, obviously you see all the, the world power that's there, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so I'm sure that there's something, um, so I, I wouldn't know, but you know, you can assume it's there. Um, you know, the, the, uh, next is, is I've seen two small articles, um, that were just kind of posted about, hey, they're meeting and, you know, more to come kind of thing. So the short answer is really I haven't seen much yet. Okay. I think their their effect is waning because uh, uh, Klaus Schwab himself wasn't there at first and some other folks weren't there. And, uh, you know, Elon Musk has sort of railed against him as have some other folks. And Pianchi was talking about a story earlier that uh, the Pfizer CEO <laughs> was confronted by a journalist. We actually asked uh, asked him a question like you know what the hell are you doing how come right. you got you know liability immunity 
You know, of course he doesn't answer. Right. Has that? No, um, they, uh, uh, Elon Musk posted a, a, a Twitter poll and voted on the importance oh. of the World Economic Forum, and it was a, out of out of everybody that voted. There's 15 percent of people said, "Yeah, that it's worth it." The other 85 percent said no. <laughs> so, well, that's, that's encouraging. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really good to know. Yeah. See, I, yeah. they're not elected. They have no power. Uh, it doesn't really matter what they say uh, because we don't, we, you know, the Constitution is, is above international law anyway. Uh, and so there's no treaty with them. They're, they're not representative. They're just a bunch of egotistical cultists, you know, bent on obsessive world domination. If I can just make yeah. something yeah. up on the spot here. But, yeah. Well, the ACF doesn't have any legislative no power either. And, and uh, they just come out with some new rules against, uh, you know, braces on, um, on rifles. You know, so, yeah, we'll talk about the ATF in a uh, second. That's a, that's a, I'm going to raise that. That's a good issue as well. Pianchi, you had a point? And I'll get back to Derek. Yeah, hey, I'm sorry I had to break in, but guess who that's I okay. saw? Henry Kissinger. They must have enslaved him to get him to sit up there and talk. <laughs> He's old. He was, he was old back in the Vietnam War. He was old. At least he looked old. He I actually is met evil. him. Yeah, well, he, he is definitely is evil. evil. You're talking about yep. a warmonger. He is evil. So now he Him has the perfect reason. President Brzezinski is yep. who wrote the book on the Grand Chessboard, something like mm-hmm. that. Then he finally came out and said it wasn't working. <laughs> yeah, the big name Brzezinski is another one, but I'll tell you, both Kissinger, Brzezinski, uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger are the perfect reasons why you want to have, and Obama too, if you want to throw him in, are the reasons you have to have natural-born U.S. presidents. You cannot be born in a foreign country because uh, your allegiance is never going to be the same. Uh, and so this right. is there's a good reason for the Constitution the way it is. Well, let's talk about the ATF for a second, because here's an agency that would be defunded under my, you know, defund all the unconstitutional agencies. Uh, and in fact, they shouldn't exist at all because everything they do is unconstitutional. So what do you know about them? What, uh, you know, do they have any effect on the gun market? Are they, I know they're trying to ban. Uh, they just got overruled, right, in court on the bump stock issue? Um, uh, I, I, I don't know about on the bump stock, but I know that um, on – um, AR pistol braces, which means that, uh, you know, if you have a, um, what they call an SBR short barreled rifle, which is anything shorter than 16 inches and you have, um, any, any type of buttstock on there or pistol brace or anything, it must be registered as an NFA, which means they want your $200 tax stamp. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it seems like a money play because they know there's a bunch of them out there. Um, and they know a bunch of people are going to go register to have an SBR, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty bad outreach. Um, I think, uh, I, I saw a thing online where somebody pulled all the statistics that said how many SBRs or short barrel rifles were involved in crimes over the last like three years. And it was like roughly less than 2% of mm-hmm. any crime that was involved. You know, so they're like, you know, I, I don't know what their fear is because they're not commonly used in shootings, um, you know. But uh, anyway, I, I think uh, Matt Getz is ahead of you in doing the, uh, you know, trying to abolish no, it's the not. ATF. I, well, he, he, he's he, I, I wrote my bill before he did. <laughs> you know, he just came out with his bill. My bill came first. And my bill's more comprehensive, but uh, I don't want to throw that in uh, Matt Gates' face. After all, he is our representative here. However, uh, I'm going to put that in a press release, you know, with my Peter McCullough interview. Uh, did you hear that, by the yeah. way? Did you get a chance to hear Peter McCullough? 
No. Wednesday. And if you get a chance, uh, listen to it because he endorsed, he didn't endorse, but he basically, you know, gave his approval to our vaccine product liability bill. And if people like Peter McCullough start approving of our citizen legislation, and this starts getting in the mainstream, you're going to see some big effect from this because that's, I, I'm, I'm curious to, well, I don't know if you want to speculate or not, but let's say we get this actually into the public debate and it becomes a serious uh, issue for the 2024 campaign, would that affect mm-hmm. um, the, the market? I mean, I know the, the big pharma would be pouring billions of dollars against it, obviously, but what would that do if, 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 um, if uh, product liability hit big pharma and they're actually responsible for everything they're doing now? Is that worth speculating or no? Um, I, I mean, I doubt it's going to happen. Um, okay. You know what I mean? But if it did, I mean, I, I know lawsuits would, would be opening up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, do you remember what happened I mean, with Big already, Tobacco? Yeah, go ahead. What's that? Well, I just well, there's Big already, Tobacco is, there's is like a test. Sorry. Yeah, about, about uh, heart issues with, uh, uh, with the vaccine, you know, cardiac issues and things like that right. that, have, that have arisen. <laughs> um, you know, so I, it's, I, I know it's that, that uh, if lawsuits were to open, that, that it would be in motion. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt there. We were both so <laughs> I, so energized to talk here. Um, the the big yeah. tobacco. Do you remember when big tobacco was sued and they paid out billions of dollars in lawsuits? Oh yeah. Do you remember what yeah. what happened to tobacco on the on the on the, in the markets? Do I remember what happened to tobacco? What now? Well, yeah, in, in terms of the stock prices and things like that, and, and the companies themselves. Where where do tobacco companies stand these days? Because they've been you know, people, I mean, smoking is like, you know, you got to smoke in your home. It's almost like you're a, uh, you know, persona non grata if you smoke, which is, I don't really have a problem with. But um, but I know that had to have a major effect because they were huge companies. You know, they were sponsoring I mean, sports events. They were sponsoring, uh, you know, race cars, NASCAR, all kinds of stuff. Weirdly and, enough, they, they still do pretty good. Um, you know, you've got okay. – uh, um, Altria uh, is one of them, and then Philip Morris is another one. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, both of them, um, the stock price pays a monster dividend. Um, I say monster. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's in comparison. Their dividend is, is, is pretty high, roughly 5%. But, yeah, okay. uh, both of wow. their stocks do extremely well. So tobacco companies are involved in more than, just, uh, more than just tobacco, and they do export globally. And you have to understand that uh, uh, many other countries – uh, smoke a lot more than us and don't have the limitations. Well, I that's eat, a really good point. Uh, you know, I remember yeah, Europe Arabic smokes. countries uh, are, yeah. are definitely them. Asian, China, you know, I mean, these, these people, I mean, now China does, they have their own tobacco industry that's very large, um, okay. you know, but uh, they do still import because um, um, we've had that foothold on that, on that industry for, you know, hundreds of years. Interesting. So if we can get liability on big pharma, you know, if they use the argument, it's going to destroy our company, it's going to, you know, totally wreck us, we can't handle it, we will never be able to produce vaccines. If you put any kind of liability on us, that's going to be a bunch of uh, BS, right? Because we can use tobacco and say, well, look, they, they diversified, they did other things, you know, despite all the, the warnings, the labels, the prohibition in restaurants, airplanes, everywhere else, you know, the tobacco is alive and well as an industry. People yeah, are still well, smoking. You know, well, Pfizer isn't going to anywhere on, because yeah. their main drug is Viagra and men need that. <laughs> so. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so I, I want to get to the beginning of this. So, so who makes Viagra? Are you talking about Pfizer? Uh, Pfizer. Pfizer does. Pfizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, okay, hold on a second. I want to get one question. So what is the profit or, or you know, between Viagra and uh, the COVID jab? 
Um, I would would say that Viagra outweighs it uh, huge, and I'd really? have to do some research. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, golly, Viagra's been out for, you know, I mean, what, twenty years, eighteen years, somewhere around in there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. The the guy the guy who actually invented it. Um, it was it was actually an accident um, how it was discovered. Um, <laughs> like Rogaine. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, like like uh, that in uh, Teflon. I mean, there's there's all. I mean, they were they were looking for something that did. I'd, I'd have to look at the story again because uh, uh-huh. it's not coming to my mind. But uh, um, actually, the guy uh, the guy that invented it has like the eighth biggest yacht in, in the United <laughs> States. That's how much that's how much money this dude has made off of Viagra. Men will pay anything apparently to have sex. This is fascinating. Hey guys, lose weight. <laughs> you, you, you want to get your man part back? Lose weight. <laughs> that's the number one thing you can do. Stop buying Viagra. Just go out and exercise. You know, yeah, that, that helps for, for some people. But yeah, I mean, you got people that have, uh, you know, back injuries, and uh, it's pretty common in the military because um, you know they're huh. they're, um, and and I say that because I mean it's 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 people that I that I know that have experienced this. Um, right. You know, I mean, it's uh, you know, low testosterone runs pretty commonly in the military with guys that are doing hard charging things. Um, you know, back Wait injuries. Wait, that seems contradictory. Things. And, and Pianke, I promise I'll get to you. It seems contradictory that you'd have a lower testosterone if you're doing things that would be considered high testosterone activities. It, combat. It, it does. It, it does. But but uh, but but Google Google the statistics. It's it's because of the uh, physical exertion they did over over years. There's there's studies behind this stuff. And then additionally, like I said, lower back stuff from all the equipment that they that they carry. Um, you know, I mean, if you have lower back problems, that's that's pretty pretty common. And you know, the military. Um, you know, uh, and I can vouch for this. I mean, if you have a problem, they're quick to throw some pills at it and just be like, "Hey, suck it up and move right. on." Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's just that's 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 what they do. You know, so uh, you know, rather than getting to the root of the problem, like you said, you know, lose weight, exercise, blah blah blah. You know, I mean, it's like I'm not I'm not mocking you. I'm basically agreeing with you. You know, if you do that stuff, oh, I know. you know, typically you get better. What's that? No, I, I know you're not marking me. No, I understand completely. Yeah, let's get to Pianki's oh, yeah. question because I know you had one uh, somewhere along the way here. Pianki, you had a point. No, what I was going to say is that uh, tobacco itself is not bad. For it's the ingredients and all the other chemicals that they put in American tobacco that causes the problem. Well, I thought nicotine was the problem. Right. Nicotine is the addictive component. Doesn't nicotine occur naturally in tobacco? Or no? Uh, I what's think that, it does. That, who wants to take what it? Was that? I did. <laughs> what does nicotine occur? Na- I think nicotine occurs naturally in tobacco. When you when you burn tobacco, it releases nicotine, which is an addictive uh, substance. The only thing more addictive than nicotine, strangely, is caffeine, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Pianki, and then uh, Derek. Yeah, I mean it, it does. Oh, it occurs naturally in tomatoes too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, tomatoes too. You. Is that what you said, Derek? Yeah, tomatoes. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. so, so it's it addictive. Kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of look at the things you learn here on our action radio. Oh my no, goodness! Uh, yeah, tomatoes. Uh, uh, I, I I wouldn't have known this. I have a client that grows specific tomatoes that they sell to vape juice companies. And um, you know he he uh, you know I mean he makes a pretty decent profit off of it, but. 
um, you know, he was in the office and I asked him, you know, where is, where's income sources? And he's like, well, I grow tomatoes. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, do you have, do you have a farmer's market? He says, no, I sell them to uh, tobacco companies. And I was like, really? I was like, how does that work out? And he says, well, he says, I'm going to tell you a little statistic. He says, tomatoes have almost as much nicotine in them as, as uh, or certain breeds of tomatoes um, have almost as much nicotine in them as tobacco leaves. And he said they're easier to grow, easier to maintain, and easier to get the tobacco or get the nicotine out of. So um, they grow them in bulk and then just ship them to these companies and they mash them and, and extract the juice. Um, you know, and, and I, I, I had to go look for myself. So I did some individual research and I was like, holy crap, I didn't know that. So that just one of those weird statistics. Yeah. Well, but wait a minute, you know, Campbell's soup, you know, what's the most popular soup? Tomato. <laughs> Should be chicken, chicken noodle, but uh you look at pizzas, yeah. you know, you look at Italian food, you look at spaghetti sauce. So, yeah, I, so, so, it's, so a, it's a specific breed of tomatoes. You know, it's not, uh-huh. it's not one that you commonly eat. Now, now the ones you commonly eat when I did research do have trace nicotine in it, but it's not anything right. that would ever cause you problems. See, I can just see all these tomato industries, uh, you know, the, you know, the, the pizza, spaghetti sauce, all these folks, you know, using the tomatoes specifically that have nicotine in them, just like Coca-Cola used to have cocaine. <laughs> You know, for the same reason, get mm-hmm. that little extra lift, you know, and until right. it's banned. But right. uh, how do you know they're not using those brands of tomatoes? When it says, when the ingredient says tomatoes, you don't know. It could be any tomato. Yeah, yeah. Huh, this is fascinating. All right, let's get the report. Then I want to talk about the debt ceiling lie and, uh, and anything else that Bianca wants to bring up, which is fascinating. They we're all over the place this morning, but I love it when, when this happens. So I don't care what the title of the show is. We'll just, we'll just do what we do best, improvise. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. I'll get started here. Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. Markets backtracking on 2023 gains. Equity market slid again today on the back of weakening economic data and contracting corporate margins. Value and growth style stocks were largely neck and neck during the sell-off. Another big market overhang is the Fed in its aggressive rate hiking cycle to combat inflation. Investor sentiment is souring as the narrative around a soft landing becomes less likely. Following suit, European and Asian shares were also sharply lower, and the bond market yields were higher as fixed income investors continue to digest Fed rate hike expectations. However, the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield is still lower than 3.5, now trading at 3.4. U.S. equities closed lower with the Dow Jones 253 points, or negative uh, 0.76 to 33.044. The NASDAQ will close down 105 points, or 0.96% to 10,852. And the S&P 500 closed down 30 points, or 0.76 to 38.99. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 93 cents, or 1.17%, to $80.73, and the spot price of gold was up uh, $27, or 1.42%, to 19.34.10. cents. This is Derek Park of Ever Jones um, with a uh, uh, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Interesting. So now it doesn't, there's not a big gain in oil. There's a little bit, but uh, you know, uh, the strategic petroleum reserve, they're not, they're not uh, dumping that on the market anymore. So is there any forecast on oil uh, over the next little while supply and price? should should stabilize where it's at right now because we're kind of right at the right at the comfort place um you know if if we are 
going into recession, say we're in recession, whatever that is. I mean, you should see oil prices tend to tend to drift a little bit lower, um, okay. you know, and they should stay there for a little while. Um, I say should, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to give you a forecast based on <laughs> no, what we're, we're guessing, so. you know, it's like weather. Yeah. We're guessing. Yeah, it's OK. Well, weather's the only job that you can be right 10 percent of the time and keep your job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That and radio talk show host, uh, especially if you're a liberal, mm-hmm. host, you can be you can be wrong yeah. forever and they don't care. <laughs> they just keep you. They just keep paying right, you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, well, let's talk about this, uh, this, this, this debt line. We've talked about it before, I don't know how many times, but it's, it's the same old thing, and they keep trying it out. And I, but the, the, the counter-argument doesn't seem to, to be anywhere near as strong or even, even existing. You know, and they say, we have to raise the debt ceiling to pay for our obligations. But what they don't say is that we made obligations that required raising the debt ceiling. They don't say that if we cut our obligations or didn't make those obligations in the first place, we wouldn't have to raise the debt ceiling. They don't say if we actually made our obligations less than our revenue, we could, uh, we could lower the debt ceiling by simply pay it off. None of that stuff comes through. And it's just it's shocking to me that, you know, where, where are the economists? Where's uh, Steve Forbes, you know, making huge – well, maybe he is, you know, uh, Stephen Moore. You know, where are the big economists uh, in the world um, saying this is a big lie? The, the, these people are obsessed. They're, they're addicted to economic suicide, as I call it, of uh, this constant borrowing and spending. It, it, you know, if they don't get their fix, you know, they can't go through the day without borrowing money we don't have. And right. the counterargument right. never gets through. Is there anybody making that counterargument that if we simply cut spending, there wouldn't be an issue of the debt ceiling? I mean, not playing politics with the GOP saying that. The I don't hear him saying it. Yeah. Uh, I, Oh, an article on it. I'd have to dig it out. That basically said, "Hey, um, you know, we're we're fighting to to lower spending, cut back on this bill we just produced, which would stop mm-hmm. a default and would stop, you know, the debt ceiling from going up. But the but the Dems don't want to do it. The Dems want to keep pushing, and they want all this spending, and they just want to raise the debt ceiling. Now, I mean, I also saw another you know article or thing that was written that said." Um, you know, we need not to concern, and it showed how we pay our bills until our debt goes over something like fifty trillion. That's like where <laughs> concern really needs to start rising. Fifty uh, trillion? And you, and that's their benchmark? Uh, yeah. Well, well, I mean, that's what the the article said that when you get over fifty trillion with what we produce, um, the the probability of you ever lowering it starts to go away. Oh, so they want to get to a point where we can never address it. See, I think if we stop borrowing, no matter when we stop borrowing, uh, it's going to automatically improve because, as you and I have talked about, the, the debt that's already been incurred, the bonds have to be paid off. We do have to meet that obligation. Right. So the fact that we have to meet the obligation of the bonds that were uh, issued to, to borrow the money in the first place means that the debt ceiling, can, the debt, the national debt can be paid off and will be paid off if we simply stop borrowing. And that's what gave me the idea for a constitutional amendment to just remove the power of Congress to borrow money. That's never been a big right. issue. I, I, looked up, I looked up articles on it. Yeah, a few people have mentioned it casually, but they've never done anything about it. Yet to me, that's the mm. most logical cure. Right. right. Hmm. I, I totally is, agree. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what, think about what that might have, effect that might have on the market if something like that actually passed. Pianchi, do you, because you've supported me on this constitutional amendment, are you seeing any stories of people talking about reducing the, the, uh, the spending to handle this, this current debt crisis, as we say, which I call a spending crisis? Nobody wants to reduce spending, but those that are wise and smart. 
Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, and me. <laughs> I'll sort of align myself with that. Uh, but, Derek, uh, I don't know, again, where I'm asking a lot of speculative questions today, but if Congress ever stopped borrowing, wouldn't that be like the biggest boom market we've ever seen? When they, when they suddenly realized that the debt would be paid off, that all this extra capital would be available, that the debt would progressively lower in relation to the GDP. Right now, the national debt is above GDP, isn't it? And, and you know. Yeah, or yeah. It, so so um, I would say, uh, you know, I mean, if, if, if they even said that the debt was coming down 10 percent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which really isn't much in 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 hindsight. Um, you know, it uh, it would have a huge impact on the market. You know, what I mean, the market would be like, okay, well, the government's now got their stuff together. They're going to lower the debt. They're going to be spending less. I mean, it, it should automatically assume that the economy would thrive. Is there anybody, either a writer or or a Wall Street person or a market person or any expert out there uh, who I could get this to who might support it? I mean, I'd love to get to Stephen Moore. I mean, he'd be my first choice because he's on media all the time. Uh, Steve Forbes would be my second choice because of Forbes magazine. But do you or, you know, how would we do this? Uh, Is there a strategy that I could go about getting this to people? It's like I want to have our product liability bills go to the national trial lawyers. And I'm having trouble reaching them because, you know, they don't know who I am yet. They will, (laughs) you know. But uh, the same thing here. Who, how would we go about getting this into the financial debate of a constitutional amendment uh, to eliminate the power of Congress to borrow money? Got any ideas for me? If you have them later, that's okay, too. I'm just curious. I, I, I don't. I'd have to look. Yeah, if you could send it to me, and, then, and, I'd, and I'd look. Okay. Huh. All right. We're at the top of the hour. I don't know if you have any more time. But, uh, go ahead, Bianchi. State legislature can can come up with those amendments to uh, to the Constitution that start reeling in the uh, federal government. If not, it's going to be so far out of control. And you know another thing: if they cut the debt down to zero, then they should give people their tax dollars back so they can put them in their pocket. Well, they wouldn't tax them in the first place, but the withholding is another thing. Well, that, that brings up another one of my bills. Now, now, is the withholding tax, is that actually in law? I can't find it. Or is it just something the IRS just did because of a World War II policy that they just never got rid of? What was that? Say that again? The, the, the withholding tax. The fact that – because one of my bills says that money will not be withheld, federal income tax will not be withheld uh, from anybody's paycheck until they've earned their standard deduction. That way they get their money this year as opposed to filing for it next year. It, that would be a massive – economic boom or boon. I'm not sure which. I have to look up you know, the, the difference. But uh, if people weren't taxed on, until they, they had no money withheld until they've, they've earned their standard deduction, which is mo- what most people take anyway, um, then, they wouldn't, then the money withheld would actually go to taxes. And the money that's not being withheld, uh, you know, their, their standard deduction money, they get up front at the beginning of the year as opposed to waiting next year uh, until they file taxes to get what they earned this year back. Is, I mean, how do, why do we have withholding? Um, I, I mean, we have withholding because the government says so, so I'd have to look at where it all came from. <laughs> See, but that's, that's my question. I can't find the, the withholding law. I can't find anything in the IRS code. Uh, I think they just do it. I, I know it's a World War II program, uh, but I can't find the actual statute, the title and section, where the withholding tax law is. I just find it interesting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's stuff that, that you can't really find. <laughs> well, then why are we doing it? <laughs> That's my next question. Okay, so here's another mm-hmm. one, too. Same, I mean, I know the answer to this. This is a rhetorical question. But if we got rid of withholding tax, if people had all their money up front, 
Of course, it'd be interesting April 15th, <laughs> you know, and people might voluntarily want to have withholding anyway, and they're free to do that. But if we ended withholding, a lot of people wouldn't, uh, wouldn't pay right away, or they'd be so shocked, they'd uh, find ways to lower their taxes, or they'd vote against people who wanted to raise taxes. That's my next scenario. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. So what do you want to talk about? <laughs> we got like two minutes. You know, I know, you know, you want to get to get going here, but um, anything to be watching, anything you can see coming, any uh, anything that works for this year as far as economic stuff or anything you want to talk about? No, I mean, for, for economic stuff, I mean, I, I would basically say that, uh, you know, I think we, we've got a couple months of, of, you know, some shaky, shaky markets. Um, okay. You know, and I mean, we we should should start to see some kind of turnaround begin, um, you know, between now and then, um, you know, really what we're looking for is the Fed to say, um, you know, hey, we're going to ease off on the rate hikes officially, you know, whenever that is, I think it's going to come sooner rather than later. The reason being, one, uh, just like Janet Yellen said, we're we're having problems paying our bills because of how, how high the rates are. Um, you know, so next thing is, um, you know, when the Fed goes down to, to quarter percent raises rather than half a percent, um, you know, I mean, that's going to be huge for the markets. Um, and okay. that means that people can plan better. So I, I think that's rapidly coming, you know, with, with inflation on the run. The only concern with inflation really is uh, uh, food costs. You know, food costs are, are remaining higher than, than, than normal, um, and they're not coming down as quick as is needed. So, um, you know, that might take a little bit more time. But uh, inflation is on the run. That's a good thing. Housing market's on its way down. That's a good thing. Um, you know, mortgage rates seem to stabilize right around 6%. Um, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing, but it is, it is what's, what's causing everything to kind of slow down. Hmm. So when the market, uh, so if they don't raise interest rates or people get the idea that the interest rates will be increasing slowly, that'll, that alone will, will cause people to, to invest more, you think? Say that again now. I'm sorry. Well, just the, just the fact that the rates aren't increasing as much, or even if they, they hold steady for a while. Now, is that, um, is that, 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 that have a, a psychological effect on the market or is it an actual physical effect that, uh, that people would just automatically invest more? I guess it's the same question. Um, I would say I would say both. Um, you know, I mean, right now, you know, I mean, you're talking psychology. Investor sentiment is very low because everybody's got fear. You know, right. the fear index is, is is really high. So, you know, I mean, I, I would say that as soon as that happens, you're going to see that turn around, which means people are going to bring money to the table. Hmm. That sounds good. Because the probability okay, did... for it to go north rather than south. <laughs> so. Okay, so so explain north and south again, so so everybody knows. Um, market go up rather than market go down. Makes sense to me. Okay. Pianki, do you yeah. have a last question? And then uh, I know Derek has, has stuff going on. Well, unless you have more time. I don't know. Pianchi? No, 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 no. I guess it. Okay. Last question, Pianki? Well, no, Derek, have a safe and pleasant weekend. Okay. And if you want to give you your contact one more time, then we'll get you out of here. I'll take a break and come back with a whole bunch of more stuff. Thank you, sir. Sure. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, guys. Uh, again, this is Derek with Edward Jones. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Thank you very much. All right. Let's take a break. It is 8.06. And, uh, again, I started the show a little bit later because uh, uh, Shirley's uh, 
out of town and can't do our report right now. So she's having way too much fun. She's at the SHOT Show. And again, um, I don't mind saying that because she's putting it all over her Facebook page. So it's public information. Um, that's where we should be. Pianca, we should be at the SHOT Show. We'd have a lot, a lot of fun there. I'd love to talk to uh, uh, the gun companies, the 2A groups, the different, uh, different folks there. But um, because Shirley's not here, and we know we like to talk uh, guns on Friday, uh, I pulled out an interview that uh, I sort of went over this morning and took out all the commercials and the news breaks and things like that from WEBY from 2017 when I had Carrie Lightfoot, uh, who started the Well-Armed Woman back, I think, in 2012. We'll hear about that on the interview. Um, that's five years ago. Almost six, eh, about five and a half years ago now. And so I've got to get her back on the show. I'm sure she's at the SHOT Show, too. But uh, women and guns, women have uh, just exploded on the gun market, you know, if you'll excuse the metaphor. Uh, and women purchasing guns, carrying guns, you know, and this is why it's great having Shirley on the show. So when she comes back, and we're going to hear all about that, that's going to be kind of cool. So, again, take a break now. And I'll be back in a little bit. And we've got uh, world government stuff uh, the, with uh, the, the cult, the World Economic Forum cult, a couple of things there. Southwest is having some problems. Maybe we want to talk about that. Um, they're, uh, they're really screwing up. <laughs> Their officials got – and Boeing officials are having a problem too. The Boeing got indicted. Uh, and there's a report from the Justice Department, so we can talk about that too. So we're open. You know, I've got uh, my legislation. Everybody knows what it is. Vaccine product liability. Uh, big tech censorship, and our constitutional amendment um, to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And the last one of the big four is to disarm all uh, federal bureaucrats who are not uh, specifically authorized by the Constitution to be armed. And that would be the FBI, um, all the intelligence agencies, the, you know, the, the Environmental Department, Education Department, anybody with a SWAT team. <laughs> you know, any federal agency that's armed that is not dealing directly with treason, piracy, or counterfeiting has no constitutional authority to be armed. And I will be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. 
ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, back to the newsroom and let's see what's uh, going on. Turn to uh, the news of the day. We've got uh, the World Economic Forum, which I call the World Ending Forum, which is nothing but a globalist cult of self-appointed ego mania, uh, megalomaniacal. Let's start it again. Megalomaniacal. <laughs> Mega. What's that word? <laughs> I think. Uh, mega maniacal. Anyway, there we go. I'm, I'm having a tough time with words this morning. Uh, but those folks, <laughs> they think they run the world, and they simply don't. So we got a couple of topics. I got uh, one article from them. Um, that I think really kind of uh, summarizes what uh, their their incredible obsession with uh, their, their self indulgence of their own importance. And uh, I want to talk maybe because we got Pianka in the line. Um, what's going on with uh, both Southwest and with the Justice Department Boeing? Because this has worldwide implications. So let me see if I can find. I got that one. That one. That one. I got that one. That's not the one I want. And if anybody wants to talk about Jacinda Arden uh, in New Zealand, that's fair game too. So where is my? Ah, here we go. Found it. 
Um, that's what happens when I have too many, too many articles to choose from. So I've got a bunch of stuff from World Economic Forum. I've got their daily programs. I've got all their, their things. I've been looking at a lot of stuff. But I really want to find the essence of the problem. And I think this, this article kind of, uh, you know, gets in that direction. It's called Why It's Time for the Dawn of Stakeholder Geopolitics. Geopolitics being world politics, like uh, geography being a world map, <laughs> you know, uh, geology being, you know, world, you know, uh, earth stuff. Uh, and so, so anytime it's geo, uh, that's like the world. And so the idea of stakeholders. So stakeholders, if you have a stake in something, if you have a stake in a poker game, you know, you've got, uh, you got, you know, as they say, skin in the game. You got money. You got, you got money there. You have a stake in the outcome, okay? And so what they're really doing is dividing the world into those who have a stake in the outcome and those who don't. Well, they do. <laughs> their fellow elitists do. And they're saying that, uh, that they're so important, that so, they're so wonderful, they're so knowledgeable about the entire world that uh, they will uh, cater to their stakeholders. In other words, they think that have, uh, have something to, to offer. Uh, and the rest of us be damned. They don't care. You know, we're supposed to eat bugs, be naked, and be happy. <laughs> You know, and have no property. So this is written January 18th, 2023, so recently, like two days ago. Uh, and this is from the article was originally published by Foreign Affairs. Oh, I know who they are. You, know, you guys know Foreign Affairs? That's one of the most liberal foreign policy uh, publications in the United States. And they're terrible. <laughs> who I think it is. Anyway, so let me read this. And so let's see if I can get the author. Uh, Borge Brende, President World Economic Forum. Uh, article part of World Economic Forum Annual Meeting. And so let's, let's get started into stakeholder geopolitics. They say over the, ne- over the last few years, the world has experienced a gradual slide from cooperation to competition to conflict. <laughs> when are we cooperating? <laughs> There's always been competition. Uh, I think that's, that's wishful thinking on their parts. So when they say cooperate, well, let's, let's read on. This is the post-Cold War international order has been replaced, first by a period of intensifying global rivalry and then by war in Europe. In this new and unsettled era, world leaders must adapt their understanding and practice of geopolitics because time is running out to address critical global challenges. Well, this is a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> That's a self-inflated, self-inflated nonsense, and it's not true. The post-Cold War international order? Well, what was the, what was the Cold War international order? You know, runs against uh, us. You know, the good guys and the bad guys. Don't forget China. I mean, China is the one that attacked us in Korea. China's the one that attacked us in Vietnam. You know, China was the one supplying all the arms. Uh, Russia, too. Russia, were, the Russian pilots were flying the MiGs, you know, a lot of times that our sabers were going against in Korea. So the, that was, and that, that the, the order was maintained by mutually assured destruction. In other words, we had nukes first, which were, you know, were the good guys, right? Um, and then they had nukes because, you know, people like the Rosenbergs and others in the State Department, you know, gave, gave them. The nukes. So, so then the bad guys have them. And they want to do that because they couldn't stand the United States having nukes and nobody else. And we have to have a balance of power. Then we have mutually assured destruction. Okay? So in other words, we use our nukes, they use their nukes. Or they use their nukes, we use our nukes. And, and the idea was that the, the mutual destruction was so abhorrent that nobody would use their nukes. Well, what they forgot, and this is what Dr. Peter Pry used to tell us, is that both the Russians and Chinese have massive civil defense. You know, they geared up for nuclear war. Just in case. <laughs> We're not. <laughs> So the people most likely to lose in terms of civilian population and everything from, uh, you know, all electricity and power and everything else uh, is us, you know, because we're not prepared. We don't have the civil defense we used to have, you know, back uh, during the, the, the height of the Cold War in the 50s and 60s. So this post-Cold War international order. So what was the post-Cold War international order? I don't know. 
I guess the rise of global governments like the the, the European Union, uh, the North American Union that uh, the left has tried to bring about, which didn't work, fortunately. And I guess that's what they're talking about here. But intensifying global rivalry. Well, we call that free trade. <laughs> okay. There's always been global rivalry, but not global rivalry, but countries have always been rivals for, for competition, for trade, for developing new products, for military, for, for all kinds of stuff. That's a good thing. <laughs> that's what we call a free market. So I don't, I don't know what their – well, I do know what their problem is. Then they said in this new and unsettled era. So unsettled. Well, free market competition is unsettled. A republic is unsettled because there's always things that come up. Democracy is probably the most unsettled because all you have to do is sway the voters and you can get anything you want. All right? So when they say unsettled, I guess they want things to be settled. Which, and the only way you can have things settled is a totalitarian world government clamping everybody down. And that's what I think they're getting to. It says world leaders must adapt their understanding and practice of geopolitics because time is running out to address critical global challenges. Well, the only one that they're thinking of that I think they're thinking of is, is what they've, they've dreamt up, this climate change nonsense. Now, we know that CO2 is good for the environment. It's, it's good for the carbon cycle to maintain the carbon cycle. It's good for plants. It's good for plant growth. It's good for food production. Uh, in fact, increasing carbon dioxide is a good thing. So the idea of anybody stepping up and saying, well, we have to get rid of carbon dioxide is an idiot or is a power mad person or they want to deny you your food <laughs> either way. Uh, or they want to, they don't want you to go anywhere. You know, mono electricity, mono power. Don't go anywhere. Live where we tell you. Work where we tell you. Live in a planned community. And there you go. And that's what this climate change nonsense is all about. It goes back to smart growth in the 90s and other things. Then it says, in a year that began with conflict and warning signs of geoeconomic fragmentation, it was remarkable that November 2022 delivered a restoration of U.S.-Chinese climate dialogue. In other words, we restrict ourselves and China doesn't. <laughs> a reaffirmation by the G20, that would be the globalist G, you know, G20 nations, of the need for economic cooperation and an, agree <laughs> right, and an agreement at the U.N. climate conference in Egypt that provides historic, quote, loss and damage climate adaptation funding for vulnerable countries. In other words, uh, a carbon tax. So you get taxed on your use of energy, and all, and all your money is transferred to, quote, developing countries so they can buy stuff that the Communist Party is producing and everybody else. So this is a bunch of nonsense, but this is what they call uh, you know, geopolitical stakeholders. I'm, I'm waiting until we get to the stakeholder part. So let's read on. It says, but such welcome news should not be taken as a sign that a retreat from geopolitical rivalry is underway or that a cooperative order can be fully restored. World powers still hold starkly different visions of what should guide global politics and are vying to shape the new world order accordingly. Oh, boy, they said the big words. <laughs> there it is, new world order, right? And, and see, see global, there is no global politics. There is, just, there is national, there is nation politics. There is nations acting in their self-interest based on individuals acting in their self-interest, expressing their individual rights, you know, working, accumulating property. Uh, that's, that's the only thing that should, should be considered here, but it's not. They, they never use words like that. They talk about global politics. In other words, one source of politics, you know, and then we have vying to shape the new world order accordingly. According to whom? <laughs> Them. <laughs> okay. Then he says, for this reason, current efforts, efforts at cooperation could prove fleeting, giving way to new rounds of conflict. In such a turbulent geopolitical climate, the question becomes, what can a framework for durable cooperation look like? So what they really do is, is take away all, the, uh, uh, all the, the, the independent nations. You know, when they talk about turbulent geopolitical climate, it's supposed to be turbulent. Free markets are turbulent. Winners, losers. Nations that succeed, nations that fail. You know, products that work, products that don't work. Banks that uh, make good loans, banks that don't make good loans. 
you know, it, that's always how it works. So it's supposed to be life is crazy. Life is, is not safe. <laughs> you know, things, things are challenging, but nobody and nothing is ever gained without a risk. That's for, that's a free market. That's freedom. You know, the freedom to succeed, the freedom to fail, uh, the freedom to, to not do anything. And yet they want to take all that away and put durable cooperation. Well, it's not cooperation at all. In other words, the cooperation is between us and them. And they, they want us to cooperate with them. That's what it comes to. Then they say, this question has gained even greater urgency against the backdrop of an ongoing pandemic, which we know they caused, right? A potential global recession, which we know they caused, heightened nuclear proliferation risks, which they caused, and they now are never moment for addressing climate change, which they're lying about. <laughs> okay, so you, you tell which parts I inserted, and if there's any doubt about that, let me know. This is these challenges are cascading and creating what some analysts refer to as a global polycrisis. Ooh, multiple crises. There's a new word. Uh, a situation in which multiple, uh, here we go, they define it. A situation in which multiple crises compound one another. Dude, that sounds scary. Uh, is anybody scared yet? I'm not. <laughs> because the drivers of these crises are not confined to any one nation. Addressing them require leaders to come together to forge solutions, despite the reality of broader geopolitical disagreement. In other words, everybody has to agree on, the, on, on what's going on. Well, how do you make everybody agree? Well, there's only one way to make everybody agree. You force them. <laughs> and that's what the World Economic Forum is all about. So, so he says, simply put, leaders need to manage geopolitical competition in a way that preserves space to align with diverse parties on shared interests. Huh? Leaders need to manage geopolitical competition. Well, if you manage it, it's not competition. So in other words, they're managing geopolitical entities. In other words, they're managing the nations. And then it says, in a way that preserves space. Space for what? To align with diverse parties. Huh? On shared interests. So, <laughs> so in other words, everybody comes under the same umbrella, right? The alternative, they say, competing to define the era ahead but failing to untangle the knot of common challenges will leave countries worse off in the long run. Well, that's a bunch of BS. No country ever suffered because it acted independently. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. In fact, the, the more independence, the better. The only countries that succeed are the ones that act independently and use the resources, their technology, their, their brain capital, their innovations uh, to move further ahead. I mean, history has proven that for thousands of years. Anyway, they say balancing competition and cooperation is a tall order. Huh? Balancing competition and cooperation. Balancing competition and cooperation. Well, you can't do that. Okay? Uh, well, maybe. Uh, the only, the, let's take a cooperative effort that worked. Um, Airbus Industries. So you got all the Europeans banding together to compete against Boeing. Uh, and they, they built airplanes. And those airplanes worked, apparently, <laughs> so far. Uh, so that's a, good, that's a good thing for them. So there's, there's cooperation. But that was done by the free market, even though it was government-inspired. You know, that wasn't done uh, – you know, the, the, the World Economic Forum didn't force countries to build an airplane. So that's, that's competition and – who's the competition? Boeing, okay, uh, and whatever China's producing. So, yeah, you can, but they're separate things, competition and cooperation. If people want to cooperate, that's fine. If they want to compete, that's fine too. If in, com if in cooperating they are better co at competing, that's okay too. What's not okay is this World Economic Forum, a world government body, compelling cooperation and eliminating competition, which is, I think, what they're really talking about. They say, but there are lessons from the private sector, oh, really, <laughs> particularly regarding its growing embrace of stakeholder capitalism. Over the last decade, as governments were retreating from cooperation, 
in other words, not doing what the World Economic Forum wanted, the business community has been moving in the opposite direction, coming together to address common challenges while still competing vigorously in the marketplace. So what are they talking about? What common challenges? This sounds to me, and I asked Pianchi about this in a little bit, this sounds to me like woke capitalism, like ESG, environmental social uh, goals for, for investing. So in other words, companies that behave properly, social credits, right? Companies that behave properly, those are the good ones. And they're the ones who are coming together. Companies that don't behave properly, that, you know, make guns and do things that uh, the world government doesn't want, well, they're the problem. So then he talks about the next big heading, age of distrust. As the unipolar, largely cooperative post-Cold War order recedes in the rearview mirror, world powers are competing to mold the era that will replace it. Oh, really? In the resulting mood of uncertainty, which I think is a good thing, there is a danger that critical issues in need of collective action. Oh, there you go. That's, that, that's what we call fascism, right? <clears throat> Whenever they say collective action, look at collective farms. You know, both the, the Soviet Union uh, and China had collective farms and millions of people died. So agriculture works best when it's, when it's individual farms, family farms. Collective farms means collective death. All right. So then it says there are danger of critical issues that need collective action from climate change to global economic risks. Well, wait a minute. So the COVID-19 pandemic will go unaddressed. Oh, no. Well, climate change is a fraud. Uh, global economic risks are taken by individual nations, individual people, individual corporations. There is no global economic risk, you know, unless you take the sum total of all investments. But it doesn't matter because if we have independent markets, look at the stock markets around the world. Where are the big ones? New York. Um, I guess Beijing, well, no, they're, they're communists. Uh, Tokyo has a market. London has a market. Sydney has a market. Uh, look at the world capitals that have, that have the biggest, I'm sure, I don't know if Paris has a stock market, but I would say New York, London, uh, Sydney, and Tokyo are probably the world's big markets right now. Maybe not even Sydney. Maybe it's just Tokyo, London, and New York. But the point is, the, the, world, the economics of the world is free-flowing. At least it should be. Anyway, so this, this idea that uh, this geopolitical, as they say, moment has made it possible to imagine new ways of aligning interests. This should be, oh, wait a minute, I'm skipping ahead. Nature, criticalness, and collective action. Well, first of all, no issue needs collective action. The only thing that accomplishes anything is individual action. Now, that could be an individual, could be an individual family, could be an individual corporation, could be an individual government, and it could be an individual nation. But it still comes down to individuals, despite their size, not global enforced collective action. That's where the problem comes in. It says, from climate change to global economic risk to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, isn't it interesting all of these things were caused by government? Climate change is a fraud of government. Global economic risk is a fraud because what is the global economy? Well, it's not defined by them. An economy, by definition, is free market. Otherwise, it's not an economy. It's an oppression. And the last one, COVID-19 pandemic, was completely government-created. Maybe even the virus itself. We'll talk about that another time. Then they say, yet this challenging geopolitical moment has also made it possible to imagine a new way of aligning interests, one that could help restore faith in global collaboration. In other words, making it nice for everybody to be fascist. <laughs> That's what they're saying here, right? They say, for a quarter century after the end of the Cold War, global collaboration was based on mutually agreed upon rules of transnational relations. Countries worked together to advance shared interests, particularly on issues related to the economy, the environment, and technology. Yeah, it seems pretty innocuous so far. Let's, let's get something controversial. They say, to be sure, there were significant episodes of disagreement. But to a large extent, countries looked to maintain stability, security, and prosperity. Now, oh, that's interesting. 
Um, yeah, well, they certainly do maintain stability and security. Prosperity, that's really up to the individuals. Why would countries, well, countries want to be prosperous too, so maybe we're, I'm, I'm overanalyzing here. They say during this time, the share of the world's population living in extreme poverty declined from over 35% to close to 11%. That's good. For the bottom 40% of the global population, overall income increased by close to 50%. That's good too. These results were largely possible thanks to a more integrated global economy. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> and those were made possible by free markets, by companies, by individuals creating wealth, by working hard and, uh, and accumulating property. That's it. Freedom brings prosperity. Collectivization never does. And these people want to argue that uh, collective action has brought about more prosperity. Good luck to you. I don't believe it. Then they say the birth of the World Trade Organization in 1995 and China's entry into it in 2001 were illustrative of this cooperative economic ethos. Well, wait a minute. China's a communist country. China's run by the CCP, the Chinese communist country. Why would you have a communist country which doesn't believe in trade? <laughs> they just believe in political oppression, you know, maintain the means of production, total economic clampdown, and a complete uh, suppression of all individuality, individual rights, and uh, everything else. I would say just the opposite. The birth of the World Trade Organization was a detriment to the world economy. China's entry into it was even worse. Anyway, what is this cooperative economic ethos? Well, ethos isn't real. That's, a, that's an attitude. That's, a, that's an ethic. Okay? It's not real. Then it says between 1992 and 2017, the first year of Trump, right? Trade as a proportion of world GDP rose by almost half, and the World Economic Forum has noted trade and capital liberalization, quote, brought the integration of markets and cross-border expansion of value chains to a new plateau. Well, plateau is a flattening. Why would you want that? Then they say the coordinated global response to the 2008 financial crisis, including by central banks and G20 countries, showcased the prevailing instinct for economic cooperation. Wait a minute. What coordinated global response? They bailed them out. <laughs> they, 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 create, they use Keynesian economics to create massive financial stimulus, which created massive inflation right after it. This is terrible. Then they say on climate change. I'm going I'm to find something on climate change probably for next week uh, in the World Economic Forum. I really want to detail their absurdity with that. It says on climate change, a similar sentiment was evident in the 2015 Paris Agreement, which, of course, is a bunch of nonsense, which Trump took us out of, by the way, right? And then they say, which contributed 196 parties to advancing far-reaching climate targets and to, quote, enhancing international cooperation for climate action. Well, as you know, China had nothing to do with it, even though they signed on to it. India, same thing. And, and, and most of the countries, uh, I've got a really great uh, post. Uh, it's on several places on, on our Facebook page. It's probably the uh, international group is the best one, of, a, of this British uh, citizen uh, talking from Oxford. It's about a seven-minute-long thing. It's absolutely fabulous. It totally destroys all these arguments, uh, especially on COVID and, and a bunch of other things, and poverty and world cooperation and the world economy. says no, none of this makes sense. You know, and he said the people, you know, the poor of the world are not going to sacrifice their life, their lifestyle, and their kids for some stupid climate change argument. They're just not going to do it. And I understand that. And it's a great argument. So, so I want you to you know, take a look at that. It's all over. It's in Rumble. It's a, I forgot the guy's name. British guy. Um, and anyway, I think he has a Russian name. So he's got a Russian origin somewhere in his ancestry. But go to the Action Radio International News Group and look at the guy speaking from Oxford. He's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, it, it, it sort of reverses all this, this crap that's being put out by the World Economic Forum. They say on climate change, a similar sentiment was evident to the, yeah, the Paris Climate Accords. It, what that really is is a multi-trillion dollar transfer of American taxpayer money to uh, everybody else. That's what the Paris climate change accords are all about. That's what all climate change is about, taking money and transferring it. 
when you get down to it, and taking freedom and, and just eliminating it. Then they say technology added yet another layer to the fabric of global cooperation as the Internet connected countries in new ways and enabled new forms of collaboration. Oh, that's why they want the world connected to the Internet, so they can uh, control it. Oh, I get it now. How much more of this article there is? There's a lot more of this article, but I'm bored. <laughs> I think we get the idea. Let me get to the conclusion here, and then I'll take another break and play a, a great interview for you. They say a winning formula. The current moment of geopolitical uncertainty has arisen during what the U.N. has said must be a decade of action on the sustainable development goals. In other words, you know, moder- you know, regulating the entire economy for what they say is sustainable, which is ridiculous. They say falling short on these goals would have dire implications. Oh, there's your, there's your death cult again, causing poverty, hunger and disease to rise, especially in developing countries. So if we don't do what they say. If we don't do what they say, if there's geopolitical uncertainty, in other words, they're not in control, then everybody's going to drop dead. We're going to have poverty, hunger, and disease. <laughs> That's what they're saying, right? This is climate efforts are similarly pressing. According to the uh, 2022 UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, if the necessary actions are not taken, here we go, man, many key risks are projected to intensify rapidly in almost all regions of the world, causing damage to assets, <laughs> money, uh, and infrastructure, uh, and losses to economic sectors, and entailing high recovery and adaptation costs. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Back up here. I think I found something. So they're saying that if we don't take care of climate change, many key risks are projected to intensify rapidly in almost all regions of the world, causing damage to assets. <laughs> they're worried about their property, their beachfront property, and their industries and things like that, and infrastructure. Well, infrastructure is like highways you know, uh, things like that, internet connections, whatever, and losses to economic sectors. Well, wait a minute. I thought climate change was going to kill us all, that the temperature is going to warm up and the oceans were going to rise. We're all going to die. And I'm talking about that. After all, this is the World Economic Forum. So their only concern with climate change is economic, using the threat that the climate is changing to benefit their world economy and themselves to protect their assets and their infrastructure. And now you know. Last paragraph. Such outcomes would threaten stability and diminish prosperity. Well, actually, stability diminishes prosperity when you think about it. They say not sparing any country or economy, and they can only be prevented if leaders work together to forge solutions. Solutions brought about by the World Economic Forum, which is why they're all meeting, to give you the solutions. That's what this is all about. Look at their program. Then they say, but the fact that these challenges have arisen within, and in some cases because of an already challenging geopolitical environment, means that cooperation will not always be easy. Stakeholder geopolitics. I'm still waiting for a definition of what a stakeholder geopolitics is, right? Uh, it says, which encourages countries to take the long-term view of strength and power. Wait a minute. Stakeholder geopolitics. I think we're on to something here. This very last paragraph, which encourages countries to take a long-term view of strength and power. What does that sound like? That sounds like Nazism. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we're going to have strength and we're going to have power. Or maybe it's Russian communism. We're going to have strength and power. We tell you, we, we have a position of strength. I mean, look at Joseph Stalin. Stalin is Russian for steel. That's not his real name. It's, it's Russian gobbledygook, whatever, Joseph, whatever, right? He changed the name to steel. Strength and power. I think this is their theme. This is like, uh, what was it? Remember in Gladiator? Strength and honor? <laughs> well, this is, this, there's, no, there's no honor here. It's just strength and power, right? Uh, and how do you get power through strength? And how do you get strength through power? They're kind of like mutually supportive. 
And they said stakeholder geopolitics, which encourages countries to take a long-term view of strength and power, enables allies and adversaries alike to solve global problems. What do you mean allies and adversaries? Well, adversaries don't work together. That's why they're adversaries. I guess they're going to make us work together, right? That's interesting. Uh, It says uh, adversaries alike to solve global problems cooperatively while remaining competitive. Wait a minute. That's an oxymoron. If you're cooperative, how competitive are you? If you're competitive, how cooperative are you? Free trade? Sure, you're trading freely. You're exchanging goods and services. That's cooperative. But uh, if you're competitive, you know, you can't be competitive and under a world government. It, it, just, it defies the definition. It says, ultimately, every country must decide for itself whether to practice stakeholder geopolitics, which they don't seem to define anywhere, uh, but doing so will, will yield shared progress on global priorities and, as a result, individual advantage. That's the first time I've seen the word individual in anything they've written. I think it's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm going to give uh, Pianchi a chance to, to uh, activate his mic again, and then we'll take uh, uh, another break here. But this is the greatest amount of BS I think I've read in a long time. It, it's almost like they're, they're shielding, either they're speaking in code, they're shielding their message, they're doing something here uh, to try and convince us that they've got all the answers, that strength and power is the way to go, that international cooperation in other words, enforced by them, you know, maybe that's the part that's missing. <clears throat> and they still never define stakeholder politics. I mean, I have to read more of the article. I'm going to just look up stakeholder politics in the break. Pianchi, can you make any sense of that? Did any of that resonate, as they say? No, I lost you about that for two minutes. So. <laughs> <clears throat> well, maybe that's the point of it. Maybe that's exactly the point, that they, they bore people to death and that uh, they carry on their, their nonsense, uh, and maybe they aren't relevant anymore, which would be a good thing. Well, that's a good point. Okay, let me take a break and play the, uh, a few of my, yeah, my messages. Go ahead. I'm going to cut off. I've got an appointment about eight minutes, so oh. you have a nice weekend. Any concluding comments, or do you have to go right now? No, we just have to keep our eyes open and keep our ears perked so we can uh, don't let them – put one over on you because we okay. see how these things are going and uh, especially with these stoves and nitric oxide that that should tell people something that was fascinating I, i'm going to post those articles uh, probably after the show or maybe even tomorrow but uh, i'm done with the world economic forum i may not talk about them again i think i've exhausted the topic but uh, this week so for all you folks that are bored completely as, as i am now too uh, I don't want to. Care. I don't want to mention these people again. I'm going to consider them irrelevant uh, unless they try to do something to hurt me. But uh, good point, Pianchi. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you Monday. You too, my friend. Take care. Thanks very much. All right, as well, my friend, as well. Let's get to a couple things, and I'll be back in a bit. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow, and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. 
888-346-9439. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strike Force is at StrikeForceEnergy.com. That's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Wow. So this has, uh, again, been an incredible week here at Action Radio, especially um, Dr. Peter McCullough's interview. And just, uh, you know, I, I keep talking about it. That was just such an incredible experience. Uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of good things are going to come of it. Um, hopefully uh, more interviews, and, you know, uh, and that uh, the folks in the, in the Tennessee uh, gathering, the Reawaken America Tour, which I'd love to be at, too. I'd love to be at two places I'd like to be. Uh, one is at the SHOT Show or, or also at the, uh, the Reawaken America uh, Tour. I think uh, Dr. Judy Mikevitz is there. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Brian Artis, uh, Dr. Ben Marble. I don't know if uh, Dr. Jim Thorpe is there. All, all my favorite doctors. Josie's there. <laughs> Josie's there representing Action Radio. Uh, and so we'll get her report next week as to what happened there. But uh, my goal 
uh, is to get on uh, these these uh, these various events as either a speaker, which is okay. What I'd really rather do is teach workshops, you know, and and actually show people and write legislation, you know, citizen legislation in the workshop right at these events, you know, doing just what I do here on the show. And so that's my goal. And so if I can do that, and also hopefully to uh, attract some more funds through our givesendgo.com slash action radio uh, site, givesendgo.com slash action radio. And also just uh, get a hold of me if you're, if, if you're a corporation that believes in what we're doing here and you want to have me make an ad for you, like those other ones that I did, uh, Greg at writeyourlaws.com. You can email me uh, or just message or even uh, do a live chat. Say, hey, you know, uh, call this company. You know, here's our website. Okay, I can do that. You know, so that's going to, that sounds good too. So there's many ways to get a hold of, of me and many ways to support Action Radio. Share the show, share the bills, contribute at givesendgo.com slash Action Radio. Um, be a, a sponsor like our other sponsors here, whether it's an affiliate program or, or directly, um, then all that helps. Okay, so what I did, um, uh, the, the best thing I did at WBY uh, as I'm on my way out was to uh, get a hold of all the interviews that I made there. And because I, th- I think they podcast, but I don't even know if those are still available or not. Mine are because uh, I have them and I play them, uh, and this is one of those times. And so Friday traditionally is our uh, gun chat. Uh, it used to be with Jim Dykes, who, has, uh, who had to leave the show uh, for other commitments, and uh, Shirley Watchell, uh, who is on at 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern, uh, live on Fridays, but except you know, now she's, she's got a, a wonderful event to go to. And so we're going to hear all, all about that either next week or the week after, depending on, on her schedule. Anyway, uh, what really started my interest uh, with women and guns particularly uh, was Carrie Lightfoot. And so I, you know, here I'm a new talk show host. This is back in 2017. It's my first year. And I'm at WEBY, 16, no, 1330 AM, you know, and the slogan used to be Northwest Florida's uh, news and talk leader. And so that's where I got my start. And the phone numbers you hear on this recording are theirs. I, I, there's nobody there to call anymore. It's, it's, a, it's some kind of internet automated sports station now. Uh, so it was bought. And, uh, and that caused uh, all of us to go, <laughs> me first, <laughs> you know, uh, not by choice. But uh, so that's how that happened. Anyway, so these interviews, though, were fabulous. And this is my early days in radio. So you can see, you know, early days, yeah, five years ago, right? So well, actually six. So you can see differences in style and ways to ask questions and just, uh, the, the, you know, the more you do this, hopefully the better you get. And so I'm, I'm quite a bit more anxious uh, in these earlier interviews. But the people that I got to talk to were incredible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Carrie uh, Lightfoot this interview and say, hey, remember when we talked on the air? And see if I can get her back on. And so probably talk to Shirley. Maybe I can get a, a time when they can both you know, be on the show, and uh, we'll see what we can do. So that would be, that would be kind of fun. Uh, maybe do uh, like an hour and a half marathon. So Carrie starts with me at uh, 6 Central. You know, Sherry, uh, excuse me, Shirley comes on at 6.30, you know, and then she's on for half an hour or so, and then maybe I talk to Carrie again. Just, well, I'll figure something out. That's how it goes. Anyway, so this, is, this was a recording made uh, November 16th of 2017 at WEBY, 1330 AM uh, radio, a station that uh, is, is completely different now. But back then, it was a, it was a local, regional, um, live show, uh, call-in show uh, station. And that was my first, uh, first full-time job in video. So it always has, always has a special place, as they say. So I'll play this for you now. I'll be back in, in uh, yeah, this one's actually a fairly uh, pretty long interview. Um, but I've taken out the ads. And so anytime you hear a phone number that's not 215-383-3832, that's their number. Don't call it. You're not going to get anywhere. This is a six-year-old show. Um, or anytime uh, anything else referring to anything other than blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action or action radio or stuff like that, that's from the recording. You know, of course, when I made this, I had no idea I was going to not still be there 
you know, for the next 20 years. So it's kind of interesting. So my first introduction to, uh, you know, a, a very interesting woman and uh, her site, The Well-Armed Woman. I'm talking about women and guns. And here's the interview. I'll be back uh, after it's over. Yeah, this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, conversation today. In fact, we talked yesterday, so let's get uh, let's get right to my guest, shall we? She's an NRA firearms instructor and an in-home personal protection instructor. She spent years developing small business and a social enterprise nonprofit. And in 2012, she founded the Well-Armed Woman. I want you to welcome my guest, Ms. Carrie Lightfoot. Can't wait for the applause until I died on the crowd is out there. They're just waiting to hear you. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. We had so much fun talking yesterday. I don't know where to begin, so I'm just going to kind of start and just uh, see where our conversation goes because you have done some amazing things. And, and what I didn't know before I talked to you was the, the incredible depth of psychology that goes into women and guns that I just had absolutely no idea about. It's women. Women are are different. We're we're a little unique. So. And that's the we'll idea. Fun talking about it. Yeah. Let me give the numbers real quick. 850-623-1330 if you want to call in and talk to, uh, to Carrie. 850-623-1330. We should talk first about uh, your company, The Well-Armed Woman, how you started it, why you started it, what's, uh, what's behind it all. Well, let's see. I mean, I, I came to gun ownership very, you know, later in life. I grew up in New York, and guns were not a part of my world at all. I actually was the mom that didn't even let the boys play with guns, so I kind of had an aversion to them and... and and was ignorant, you know, in my in my understanding of firearms and the role they played. Um, it was, let's see, my youngest child was getting ready to go off to college. I was a single mom, so there was that that uh, kind of awakening that I was really going to be alone, you know, with all the kids gone. And uh, started working with the homeless and and serving those that are struggling with poverty, which took me to, you know, a tough part of town. And so I. That, along with probably the the most important motivator, was uh, I had just extracted myself from a from an abusive relationship, wow. and uh, not my former husband, but a, a boyfriend in between. And you know that whole experience just just left me feeling extremely uh, vulnerable and determined to not ever be a victim again. So I started looking at what my options were. You know, what what could I do to protect myself? And, you know, to make the right decision, I had to look at all the options, and a gun was, you know, is an option and was an option. So I started just doing research and uh, was very frustrated with what I found as a, as a woman. Had some friends take me out shooting and loved it. You know, I felt, I felt empowered really from those first shots of being like, you know, I, I could handle this tool. And I also went through that soul-searching of could I actually use it if I had to and uh, made that determination for myself that, yes, I could. If it were, were me or a loved one or a creep, it was, we were going to be the ones that survived. So, you know, in that, in that research and trying to figure out, okay, how do I incorporate a firearm into my world, onto my body, you know, into my everyday life, there were no resources for women. You know, the, the firearms industry has always been a very male-driven industry and, and has done a great job meeting the needs of men, but there, there just weren't the resources for women that spoke to me respectfully, 
or answered the questions that I had or the concerns that I had as a woman. And uh, so I was frustrated, and I felt, you know what, I can't be the only the only woman out here that's, that's frustrated, so decided, hey, if no one's doing it, then I'll do it. So I launched the Well-Armed Woman in 2012, January of 2012, and boy, uh, there was just such a phenomenal response to it, not only from women, but, but also from the, the, the firearms community. And uh, it just kind of took off from there. In uh, 2013, I launched our, our nonprofit, which is the Well-Armed Woman Shooting Chapters, and that is an organization that provides a, a comfortable, welcoming environment for women all over the country because what I was hearing from so many women going to the range and that discomfort, you know, they were curious and wanted to learn, yet were intimidated by the, you know, by the current environment. And so we started that program, and we have chapters all over the country. I think we have 367 chapters and uh, an amazing group of volunteer chapter leaders, which are female instructors around the country that lead these groups and help usher usher women into gun ownership and self-protection. Wow. There's so many things that, uh, that I want to talk about because, and we talked about this yesterday, the more women gun owners, the more women gun voters. So I think uh, a lot of the success of the Second Amendment really depends on women becoming more involved, becoming more empowered, and, uh, and taking part uh, in, in this, not only the, the self-protection, but also the, the political activism as well. Oh, I totally agree. And it's, been, it's just been so rewarding to see so many women become engaged in the political discussion. Uh, you know, women, women are extremely passionate about their right for self-protection. And, you know, women, not that men don't, but women get things done. You know, if you, if, when you, when you uh, lock a woman in on a mission, you know, she, she is tireless, you know, and she will get the job done and help get the word out. And, you know, I, I've said it before that if mom's shooting, the whole family's shooting. And so... It just engages the whole family and, you know, just, just you know, it, it's kind of funny, but there is some truth in the fact that women do kind of manage the purse strings. You know, they're, they're very involved in all of those major, you know, purchasing decisions and everything. And so once mom is engaged, the industry benefits, and uh, so do we as Second Amendment supporters because we're, we're getting involved and speaking out and, and demanding demanding a voice. Yeah. Yeah, I may challenge you on something at some point, but not uh, not right now. But uh, it, it was interesting. <laughs> if you, and I say, like I told you yesterday, you can be controversial on my show, but I'm, I'm, as a sure. strong men's rights advocate, there's a lot of things that I find really interesting. But here's one of the problems. Um, and, and I always... Uh, you know, think about this. I remember watching um, the, the 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 show, the, um, the the pawn thing on the History Channel, and there are guys that are coming in saying, you know, my my wife made me sell this. I've never heard a woman say, my husband made me sell this. <laughs> and so it's really interesting. But uh, you know, and here's the thing too: there's a lot of women that that you know, the guy might be be out shooting, but if she doesn't want to do it, I think you're right. The family's not going to, or the old, I don't want a gun in the house. You know, and then you're you're giving up all that self protection. So what do you say to women that are psychologically opposed to firearms who may have absolutely no experience with them whatsoever you know we see a lot of women that that actually do come into our program you know well we have a gun in the house but i don't know how to use it and my husband wants me to know how to use it so that that's not that's not an uncommon pathway Uh, you know i think you know like myself you know i just i just equated guns with death you know or guns with crime and i had no context you know i had no no experience so 
it really comes down to a couple of things. One is for for women, for all of us to realize that we we can be vulnerable. You know that that crime, you know, crime happens everywhere, and you know the the reality is is that the majority of violent crime is perpetrated against women. And I think it's that understanding of, boy, as a woman, I have a target on my back, mm-hmm. and there isn't anyone here or around me all the time who can protect me. So there's kind of that, that switch that has to happen of, oh, you know, that could be me. What would I do in that, in that, in that circumstance? And so women kind of coming into that, that reality that they need to become their own self-protectors. So I think that's part of it is just that awareness and that acknowledgement of perhaps vulnerability. And then it's the education of what is a firearm, what can it do, what can it do, you know, and, and that it isn't the gun that is bad, it, it, it's bad people with bad guns, or the lack of training and the lack of understanding of how they work. You know, women are, are perfectly and well-equipped to manage and handle any kind of tool, right? And, and it's a yeah. matter of learning how to use it. And once once they get over that that initial fear you know, or lack of, of knowledge, that's when the empowerment happens. And so I really just encourage women to, to make their own decision, to do the research and understand, number one, their vulnerability, and number two, the truth about a firearm and any tool. You know, we have to equip ourselves. We have to find the tools and the skills to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe as we move around this crazy world. And whether whether a woman chooses a firearm or not, that's her decision. I just want her making that decision based on information and what's best for her, not on other people's perceptions or on or because of a fear of the unknown. But here's the problem. One of the greatest obstacles to women owning guns is other women. You know, you've got uh, you've got liberal gun groups. You know, anytime there's mm-hmm. a there's a tragedy, like we just had this this, this murder in Texas, where where a good guy with uh, what I would call a freedom rifle stopped a, a murder with what I would call an assault weapon, and yet it was the exact same gun. And so, right. you know, the whole the perception of this um, is is very strange. And so, you've got these gun groups that are saying, you know, like you were saying earlier, you can't defend yourself. You're going to have the gun taken away. Guns are bad. If we just get rid of them all, we'll all be fine, and we can bury our heads in the sand, and everything will be wonderful. And I came up right. with a new term uh, for you, which you can use. Feel free. Defense dependency. You know, you don't want to be yeah. de- you don't want to be defense dependent on on someone else. Why why is that 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 and women vote against uh, you know Second Amendment stuff all the time. You know, you look at a lot of these elections, especially in places where you are in New York. You know, they still mm-hmm. can't get a carry permit. You know, unless you are you know politically well connected or or whatever. I mean, Donald Trump had one because he could afford it. But you know, most people aren't right. Donald Trump. You know, when he was a right. private citizen in New York. So so what are you going to what can you do to combat the perception from women about firearms and even women owning guns from other women? It's just there's there's a problem. There is a problem, and it's really frustrating. It's infuriating, and uh, you know, it is this this messaging that is is. Uh, committing women to victimhood, yeah. committing women to having to be defense-dependent. I love that term. Oh, use it. Feel free. You know, like, that's what being, I do. Yeah. We're, be, we're being forced into that position or being told that we aren't able or equipped to be our own self-protectors and that we must rely on others. And that is just backwards to the messaging of women's self-empowerment. So I don't know how, they ha- I don't know how that discussion takes place from the same position because they don't they don't match up. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is very frustrating. Again, I think education is part of it, 
And, you know, I think the truth is those that oppose our rights and those that are trying to restrict them or eliminate them are masters at messaging and, and, and women being such empathetic, sympathetic, relational beings, that powerful messaging that really uses emotion and, and, and painful thoughts, you know, to sway women or to scare them away from firearms is really inappropriate. And uh, uh, we have to get good at that, too. And that's one of the reasons I think women are such a powerful voice in the Second Amendment conversation is because nobody can tell a survival story like a woman can. Nobody can, nobody can tell or share their reasons, their fears of walking out of their office in the evening or through a parking lot or that bump in the night. And, and so women are master storytellers. And I think I think that's an important uh, an important thing that women bring to the conversation because the other side is very good at that. And for the most part, when when Second Amendment advocates are defending our rights, there's usually a lot of statistics and numbers thrown out, which are important and really valuable and and uh, important to the conversation. But they're not quite as moving as using you know, a shooting at a school or something like that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. In fact, I sent you yeah. uh, a way that uh, women can sort of defeat the 1,000-foot, the uh, you know, uh, gun-free zone around schools. And if a guy comes out and says, well, you know, this is my right, I want to be able to protect myself, that doesn't have as much weight, uh, for better or for worse these days, than like if a woman said, I want to be able to protect my kids, I want to take them to and from school, why are they vulnerable 1,000 right. feet from a school? It's the same argument, but from a totally different perspective, and one is going to be emotionally much more effective. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who wants to be on the other side of that woman saying, no, I'm sorry. You, you can't have the tool to protect yourself, even though there's such a disparity in force between you and the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to be in that position. No politician, you know, no, no anchor person wants to be that person that, that's telling that woman, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I just have to leave you vulnerable. Yeah. And that's Which why... And, and the fact that, it's, that there are women who are kind of uh, espousing women's equality and that, that women have the right to be equal on every platform, in every arena, political, right, uh, workforce, our bodies. Women, you know, we, we, we need to be empowered to have the right over making those decisions about what we do with our bodies. But yet somehow on this topic, we're too weak, you know, we're not prepared, we're going to get hurt. We're going to hurt ourselves. How patronizing is that? Yeah. You're, you know, you, oh, you little lady, you're going to hurt yourself. You know, you're, you're a little too emotional to handle that firearm. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's really frustrating. We're either equal or not, <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. It can't be everything but self-defense. Well, that's what I want to talk about, too. I, we, we sort of talked about this yesterday, that uh, gun control is sexist. <laughs> it just is. We've got to take a break. I want to come back and, mm-hmm. and sort of pick up on that and, uh, and see what we can do. So take 21 here. Uh, my guest, uh, Carrie Lightfoot, and she started the, uh, the Well-Armed Woman. And we can get into how the industry has changed and all the other things that are going on and the actual physical carrying and the adaptation process of that. But uh, let's talk about uh, sexism and gun control when we come back. Uh, it's 821 now. I'll be right back in just a bit. The following message is sponsored by the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation, the Florida Association of Broadcasters, and this radio station. 
Hurricanes can cause severe damage to your home or property, so if you need storm repairs, make sure you use only Florida-licensed contractors. Remember to check their references, get everything in writing, and don't pay up front. To verify your contractors are licensed, contact the Florida Department of Business and Professional Regulation online at MyFloridaLicense.com. That's MyFloridaLicense.com. Join the conversation on 1330 WEBY. Hi, I'm Rhonda Easley with the Escambia River Gun Club. I want to invite firearms enthusiasts of all kinds to come out and join the fun. In addition to recreational shooting, we offer organized competitions for muzzleloaders, cowboy action, self-defense-oriented IDPA matches, and military rifle events. Additionally, we offer a ladies-only pistol shoot, and we conduct concealed carry classes. We now offer three-, six-, or 12-month membership options. Our 400-yard ranges are located on a rural 22-acre site with covered shooting benches at every position. The range is open to members and guests six days a week, and a qualified NRA range safety officer is always on duty. Visit us online at www.escambiaRiverGunClub.org or in person at our cantonment range facility located at 4020 Rocky Branch Road for a membership application. That's Escambia River Gun Club. 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's talk radio. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage believes that everyone should have some of their assets in investment-grade precious metals. At Roberts and Roberts, you can buy gold, silver, and platinum with confidence from a firm that has specialized in the precious metals market since 1977. If you are new to precious metals, Roberts and Roberts can provide you the information you need to make an informed decision whether or not you choose to purchase from us. If you are experienced in the markets, you'll appreciate Roberts and Roberts' personal service and low prices. Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, 478-5270. 478-5270. Attention listeners in Northwest Florida. Lots of gun stores will let you look through a catalog and then order whatever gun you want. But if you want to see it, smell it, taste it, and touch it first, you should get your guns at Jay's Guns. Jay's has the most guns in stock within 300 miles. From a 22 caliber Derringer to legal, fully automatic machine guns and everything in between, Jay's has it. More than a thousand guns are in stock to choose from, rifles, pistols, or shotguns. Choose guns for personal defense, hunting, recreational shooting, or concealed carry. Jay is also a Class 3 dealer, which means he's one of the few dealers in the country that can legally buy and sell full autos, silencers, and short barrel rifles and shotguns. Do you have a full auto you'd like to sell? Come see Jay for top dollar. Jay's Guns and Accessories. With retail locations in Pensacola and Crestview, plus shooting ranges with gun rentals and retail sales in Baker and Panama City. For directions, visit Jay's on the Internet at jaysgunsonline.com. Of course, as always, the the uh, world's greatest producer, A Dog, with the appropriate music to uh, to bring us into our segment here. That's A Dog with uh, with our selection. So my guest is Carrie Lightfoot, and we're talking about the well armed woman. And so let's let's get to a little conversation we started before. Gun control is sexist. You know, we're the feminists. You know, we're, if you can be uh, get, you know be empowered to have equal you know pay at work and all the other things that we're, we're fought for, which were you know which is a good thing. I, I'm a firm believer in equality, but uh, there's no equality of firearms among the feminists. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, thinking while we were, you know, in the break here, you know, I you know, I really believe that the that you know, the the Month Man action is, you know, is funded by by Bloomberg. So it is 
you know, there's, there's money behind that and influence behind that. And I really think that, I really think that they know. I think they know the power of women, and they know the power of women in the Second Amendment conversation, what, what that could be, and that they are working very hard to silence that, to diminish that voice with this very you know, heavy emphasis on, you know, um, you know, women should be afraid of gun, guns and women are going to get hurt by guns if they have them. And that that messaging, you know, is them trying to tap that down because they know if, if, if women really activate, you know, and really get on board and get vocal in this conversation and in the fight for our rights, that they are in big trouble. Yeah. So they're just, they're just working hard uh, because they can't, you know, they, they, they just can't equate that whole equality thing. What? And, uh, what are these folks afraid of? What, what is, I mean, this goes for, for men and women. The fact that we, we own and carry guns, we, we're capable of defending ourselves and our, our, our friends and our family and our community, our churches, you know, uh, places, uh, our schools. Why, why is, is the left so afraid of, of American individuals, both men and women, being empowered to defend ourselves? You know, I think there's a couple of things going on. I think, I think one is just a, a level of ignorance and, that, and a, a lack of understanding and knowledge, and I, and I don't understand how they can't equate law-abiding gun owners to safe gun ownership. I don't know why they can't make that connection and that all, that all guns, gun owners are bad, you know, and, and it, it, it's frustrating. I, you know, I think, I think power is at the root of it. You know, I think that, that I mean, it's, it's power. I mean, there's yeah. those, you know, there's, there's, you, it's easier to have power over people if they're unarmed. And so you can, you can grow that power by, by weakening those that would oppose you and, and, and removing their ability to protect you. I mean, that's kind of on the big scale, you know, my opinion on tyranny and all of that. But, um, you know, I don't know if it's, a, if it's, if it's, if it's, I don't know. People get so, they get so cemented. You know, they get so cemented into a, a belief that even facts and realities and logic and common sense, you know, do nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they can't, can't, can't creep in. And that's the frustration is that's why there can't be a conversation. Everybody is so solidified that you just can't, you can't breach it. And so we just keep banging up against each other and, and nothing happens goes to my principle that assumptions are always stronger than truth. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. Those assumptions- and, and the lack of willingness to see the truth or at least be open to hearing something that may be truth, uh, you know, it really frustrates the whole process. And so we, we just keep, you know, just, it's just a closed, it's a closed door. And I don't, I don't know. I think, I think our influence comes through people that aren't cemented yet, you know, th- those that aren't, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of the Second Amendment, but I think we should have this legislation, this legislation, and this legislation. You know, I think that whole middle ground of America that is kind of in the middle just needs to have a better understanding. You know, I think, I think common sense will have, uh, will, will affect that, will move that, will shift people more toward really understanding the Second Amendment what it means and, and the risks associated with messing with it, right, and toying with it. And, mm-hmm. I, and so I think, it, I, think, I think that's who we should be t- speaking to. And that's the people that are around each and every one of us, everyone listening. It's the people that you pass by every day, the people that you work with, the people perhaps even in your home, you know, that we can influence person to person 
and just and, and introduce them to the realities of who and what a law-abiding American gun owner is. Yeah, and and that can dispel some of that fear and, 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 and open them up to a better understanding of the importance of protecting our Second Amendment rights. Itself, if you can't protect the Second Amendment, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, right. I, I want to kind of trace through um, a case, you know, for women who were initially, say, like you were brought up to be afraid of guns or just you don't talk about them, you know, you don't have them in the home, so that transition. So, so a woman wants to go through the process, but you're saying that women just think mm-hmm. differently, and because women think differently, the process of, of going from a person who may be afraid of guns to becoming a gun owner is more complicated, and there's a lot of things that the industry didn't know that they're finding out. But kind of walk us through that. How, you know, how, how do you go from, uh, how do women go from, from, uh, from not engaging guns at all to being an, un- an owner and being empowered? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, and it is kind of, I, I, I call it a journey. And I just, and, and a journey for a woman into self, becoming her self-protector and gun ownership is just different. It's a different journey than, than most men. And we're speaking generally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's exceptions. But generally speaking, it is a different, it is a different journey. Uh, you know, part of it is that soul-searching. You know, women, women are life-givers and they're nurturers. And, um, you know, we're, t- we're taught to be nice and pleasant and make everybody happy. And, and those, those traits, you know, are something that we have to think about and, and pass through in making this decision and saying, could I use it? You know, if, if that were me, what would I do? And could I pull the trigger on another human being, you know, who is, who is wanting to do me harm? And it's just, it, it, it's just part of the process. And because there's no time to figure that out, you can't purchase your gun um, uh, and be in, involved in some sort of violent attack and then make that decision. You don't have the time to. So just that thinking. So a lot of the first steps are just processing information and doing some self-analysis, maybe, you know, squaring it up spiritually. You know, uh, you know God, are you okay with this? And, and getting all of that kind of groundwork done before the firearms purchase. Hmm. And I also really encourage all people, all women, to to look at the the purchase of a firearm and that and bringing that into their world as a package deal. It isn't just about buying the gun. You know, it, it is a package deal. There has to be a commitment to training. Having a gun and not knowing how to use it means nothing. You know, and then and then you would be putting yourself or others at risk because of your your lack of, uh, of, of training and ability to handle that firearm safely. And so there has to be that commitment to, I will train with this gun and I will learn how to shoot it and be my best, you know, my own best self-protector. There also has to be a commitment to understanding the laws. It's so complex. I just was in California last weekend and, oh my gosh, the poor people in California. Yeah, talk about that. Americans, what the, they go oh, through. Oh, they can't get permits. They I mean, can't get anything. It is, it is, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, you know, what, what they have to go through and all of the steps. And, the, you know, now there's the new ammo law that will go into, into effect in January where they will do background checks every time they purchase ammo. So there's, it's so cumbersome. But we have to understand wherever we are what the laws are. Where, where can I carry? Where can't I? When can I use it? When can't I? You know, really understand the, the use of lethal force and, you know, the fact that the use of your firearm is is the tool of last resort. And so we have to understand that. We have to be committed to understanding that and keeping up with it. In many places, the laws change. You know, there's changing. There's things happening. So they have to be committed. They have to also be committed to um, the safe storage. You know, and that includes, you know, if you're carrying it 
it must be in a holster. If you're going to carry it in a purse, it has to be in a holster. It can't be in there. You know, and that means the safe. Having the right tools at home, if you have children, or depending on what your laws are in your area, again, the laws imp- can impact how you store your firearm when it's not on your body. So we just have, it, it really is a package deal, and, and we have to be, everyone has to be willing to make those commitments. And if they're not ready, it's okay if they're not ready to own a firearm then. The time isn't quite right yet until they're ready to make those commitments. And uh, so it's really that process, you know, of, of thinking it all through, making the commitments to assume the responsibility of owning and carrying a firearm. It's huge. You know, um, <clears throat> Clint Smith said to me once, he said, Carrie, you know, carrying a firearm isn't supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be a comfort. And those words have mm. always really resonated with me about, and, and to me what that meant, you know, what I heard and, and the light bulbs that w- went off in my head were that awesome responsibility that we assume when we carry or own that firearm, you know, and, and in carrying it, it's like, I want to know where it is, and I want to be reminded every moment of the responsibility that I'm carrying on my body. But that's our birthright as Americans, is, is, to, <clears throat> is to do this, is to have the ability mm-hmm. to be in control of, of our own self-defense. That's the way the system was set up. In fact, there was a right. time when it was, you know, you were looked upon as, as not doing your civic duty if you were not carrying a firearm. And mm-hmm. so that, is, now that, was, that was for men mostly, and I'm, I'm glad this is changing. Um, but there, there was a time, you know, when those things were, were going on. And the Second Amendment, I'm, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist as far as the, mm-hmm. the context of the right being owning and carrying. Now, the government right. has, has an absolute right to, well, actually powers, the, the power of the government to, to regulate the illegal use versus the legal use. You know, illegal right. use is being brandishing up to murder. Okay, so that's where the government has a, has a role. They have absolutely no role whatsoever. They cannot touch or infringe, and the fringe is the absolute outside edge. This is how I explain right. it, um, on the right to own and carry. So you have the right to own and carry any firearm you want, um, anywhere you want. Um, because that's that's the law. There might, we can talk about a couple of exceptions, like you know courtrooms and things like that. And I understand that, but generally yeah. the, the the presumption should be that you should be able to own and carry your firearm. But the, and that's that's your Second Amendment right. The use of it is not. You know, mm-hmm. so th- and that's where we get into legal and illegal uses. And if we can concentrate on the uses of firearms and concentrate on the person and on the behavior of the people, that's going to be a whole lot different than uh, what's going on now, concentrating on the gun and the technology and things like that. Um, right. Because yeah. that's where the responsibility lies, you know, yeah. you know with us that, 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 that uh, utilize that right and take advantage of that God-given right is the responsibility that goes along with that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, who, that's who the American gun owner is, you know, and that's what's so frustrating is, you know, we're, we're not criminals. We obey the law. You know, we obey those laws that you put in and then don't mess with me. <laughs> you know, don't mess with me yeah. and my right. And as soon as we start tinkering with it, I mean, there's a lot of vulnerability. It creates a vulnerability. And so many people, you know, I do a lot of interviews and, and a lot of, have a lot of different conversations with people. And there, there's this disconnect with a constitutional right mm-hmm. and a privilege, you know, you know, like owning a car or driving a car. And there's always that equation, you know, but, you know, trying to equate the owning of a car and the owning of a gun. And it's like, you can't do that. One is a constitutionally protected right. Yeah, I would. And it's, I, I, it's a different conversation, and, and those lines get blurred. And most of that's just really a lack of understanding of really what the Second Amendment provides, what, what they all do, and the fact that this isn't, these rights aren't something granted to us by the government. 
these are a right that's given to us by them. This is a right that is affirmed. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the role of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, is it affirms these rights and it cements them and it guarantees them. This isn't a right that the, that the government has given us and has the, has the authority or the ability to start to manipulate. Yeah, and I would argue a, a little bit on the fact that I think the driver's license actually gets used against us. See, I would see the right to travel is every bit of the right um, to, to self-defense and that the government has no right to regulate either ones. Now, a right is something you exercise. It's not something you're given. So you don't, you don't have, the right to travel doesn't mean that you get given a car any more than the Second Amendment means you get given a gun. You still have to go out and buy them. But the right you are free to exercise without government uh, infringement, and that's the difference. And so if we, I'd get rid of the driver's license, too, and replace it with something else like a certificate of competence or some other kind of thing, or just get rid of it entirely uh, and just go by the laws like we do everything else. But that's uh, we've got a question here. Actually, we have Marshall on the line, so he wants to talk to you. So let's get Marshall on. Go ahead, Marshall. Yeah, my question is, Concealed weapons permit owners have a better record than law enforcement. And they keep using the argument that law enforcement is going to show up and save you. When is the NRA going to start making an issue of concealed weapon permit owners have a better record than first responders? Hmm. Good question. Thanks, Marshall. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, and I actually just read that recently somewhere, Marshall. Great question. We are law-abiding people, you know, and that's why the whole—that's why this whole argument gets so frustrating. It's like we're the, we're we're the good people now. Law enforcement and first responders are good people too, and there isn't in in any group there's there's an element that maybe isn't quite as as um, <clears throat> on top of it. Uh, the fact that we get kind of lumped in with the criminals or equated with the criminals is extremely frustrating. But I have, you know, I have, I have heard that. Um, I have in great respect for law enforcement first responders and so glad they're there when they're there. But their, their duty isn't to protect you in the moment. They can't be there. Yeah. Yeah, and I always define that, uh, you know, our rights are not dependent on the actions of criminals. So because a criminal murdered people horribly does not mean that that means my rights get taken away. There, there's, there's, a, there's, there's no connection between what a criminal mm-hmm. who breaks the law does and my rights as an individual, as a law-abiding citizen. We've got to take a break. Yeah. When we come back, I want to get into what's, how the gun industry has, has, uh, has changed, how women have an influence on that, and what are good guns for women, and, and how do women make those decisions. Let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, 8.40 is the time. My guest is Carrie Lightfoot, and we'll be right back. How many times have you heard, if you snooze, you lose? Hello, this is Bob Gray. I'm a local realtor affiliated with Coal Banker Residential Real Estate, the number one brokerage in Florida. Due to an influence of population associated with our medical, banking, and military sectors, the Santa Rosa and Escambia County real estate market has been booming. This year, home values are up 10% in Santa Rosa County and up 8% in Escambia County. I have more buyers than I have homes to sell to them which is good for you if you want to sell your home because it means you can get top dollar. I can give you a free, no-obligation estimate of what your selling price would be. So if you're thinking about downsizing or relocating, now is the time. Please call me at 308-7000 or contact me through my website, bobsellspensacola.com. Coldwell Banker Residential Real Estate, operated by a subsidiary of NRT LLC. Caldwell Banker is a registered service mark owned by Caldwell Banker Real Estate, LLC. We've got Northwest Florida talking on 1330 WEBY. Save money with low prices every day at Grocery Outlet. Quality meets produce and more. 
Prices are always low at Grocery Outlet because we sell at our cost plus a 10% surcharge added at the register. Save with low prices every day plus this week's specials like Sugardale Shank Portion Smoked Ham, one twelve a pound, Fresh Frozen Baking Hens, 98 cents a pound, Fresh Pork Tenderloins, two fifty seven a pound, Blackwell Angus Boneless Chuck Roast, three fifty two a pound, Brian Cocktail Smokies, one eighty eight for fourteen ounces, Land of Frost Thin Sliced Lunch Meat, two seventy eight for sixteen ounces, Cranberries, one ninety five for twelve ounces, Russet Potatoes, one eighty eight for the eight pound bag. Get low prices on these items and more at Grocery Outlet with locations on Highway ninety and Pace, on Fairfield Drive at Lillian Highway in Pensacola, and at the corner of Brent Lane and Palafox Street in Pensacola. Grocery outlet, nothing fancy, just cheap prices. Some people would call him a loser. He ran for state office, he was beaten. He started a business, he failed. He ran for Congress, he lost. He was nominated for vice president, he lost again. But he knew only those who never tried are the real losers. And Abraham Lincoln was no loser. Persistence, pass it on. From the Foundation for a Better Life. At uh, what'd you do this time, Brad? I'm in the doghouse after my hunting trip last weekend. Yeah, I was too. I blew off our date for an FSU game. How'd you get out of the doghouse? Stillwater's Day and Medical Spa. I got her a gift card. It took three minutes at SWMedSpa.com. She booked it this Saturday. Saturday? So nine holes then? Tea time's at eight. To enjoy a hassle-free guy's weekend, let her relax at Stillwater's Day and Medical Spa. Visit SWMedSpa.com. Stillwater's Day and Medical Spa. Voted best day spa eight years in a row. Hey, Doug, you're having too much fun, aren't you, back there? Hey, Doug, the world's greatest producer, once again, with the musical selections. The singer, our guest back here, uh, uh, Terry Lightfoot, who uh, runs the Well-Armed Woman. And so, yeah, you should give your contact information before we get to, before we forget to do that. Websites, Facebook pages, anything like that, which I've already posted to our WEBY page. Oh, good, yes. Uh, the website is thewellarmedwoman.com, and we have a Facebook page, Facebook slash The Well-Armed Woman. And uh, email is info at thewellarmedwoman.com. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere, Pinterest. Uh, you'll find us. Just do a search, and you will find us. That's the idea. And the phone number here, 850-623-1330, 850-623-1330. Kind of surprised we haven't had a call um, because there's, this is such a, uh, an interesting topic, and the industry is changing so fast. So I guess we're gone from the days when uh, women would walk into a shop and, uh, you know, and, and the guy behind the counter would say, come here, little lady, let's give you the, the pink-handled uh, you know, revolver that uh, is about your size here. You know, so, so what, it still where, happens. <laughs> it still happens. All right, well, let's it say, still happens. Where were we or where, sh- where should we not be and where are we now? Uh, oh, there's been oh, I've seen so much so much growth within the industry and kind of the the, the, the reality. You know, they've all had the kind of reality check of really who the women customer is, what their needs are. We've really seen so much growth. You know, we work at the Weller Woman closely with you know some of the top manufacturers and 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 help inform them. You know, and help open up. Uh, the the conversation directly with women shooters so that they can get that feedback. Uh, well, you know, sadly, we still see that. I mean, we still see kind of the here little lady or, 
you know, sadly, even, you know, husband and a wife or a man and a woman, you know, will walk into a gun store and all of the conversation is directed at the man. Uh, and, and the woman is like, hey, I'm over here. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm uh, and, you know, and some of, it, you know, it, that part's frustrating. But we are seeing growth. So I want to I I be in a more positive, you know, set things in a more positive light. And, and I think it's just really a matter of understanding and respecting women. You know, respecting, hey, our dollars spend the same as everybody else's. And um, as I said earlier, you know, women in many instances kind of control the purse strings. So, you know, if mom buys a gun, you know, then there's a lot of guns and a lot of ammo and a lot of gear being purchased. And uh, we found in a recent survey we did with our with the women within our organization that the average woman in our organization had five owned 5.6 handguns. Hmm. And that's just the handguns only. That's a lot of guns. Yeah. And so, no, it's know, not. What, that's, 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 a, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. a start. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. So, what gu- what guns are, are good for women um, to carry? Are, are guns specifically made for for women now, or, or are they just like general categories that, uh, that that work better? What's what are the, what are the good products? What's going on? There's so many variables, and we get oh, boy, we get this question all the time. You know, mm-hmm. what's the best gun? Uh, you know, really, the answer is there is no right gun. Uh, there's so many different things to take into consideration for each human being, you know, hand strength, whatever. But typically, women's hands are smaller. So, you know, there are firearms that we find that uh, that women are kind of on a regular basis purchasing, you know, um, mm-hmm. most likely for the same, for, the, for, for some of the same reasons, you know, for the, the uh, you know, grip size and things like that. Um, you know, the... the the Smith & Wesson M&P Shield is always a, a very popular firearm with, with women's 9mm. Mm-hmm. We're also finding, you know, in some research we did in an article I wrote on the top 10 guns that women were purchasing, they all, almost all of them were 9mm. And there were no revolvers in the top 10, which I thought was really interesting as, as women kind of grow in their knowledge and there's more resources for them to find out information, um, you know, most are making the decision for a nine millimeter grip is usually one of the biggest challenges, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, Springfields, Walther's, there's a, the Ruger LC9S, a really popular firearm, the Sig Sauer P238, which is a 380, uh, one of the most popular uh, firearms, the Glock 43, uh, which is a, a single stack. So most of these are single stacks, so there's still this challenge out there about finding, the, uh, you know, finding a greater capacity in, in a smaller firearm that we can carry on body and that's that's kind of the ongoing challenge more magazines <laughs> more right? mag- yeah more magazines yeah exactly so um but what you know really what they're looking for is that grip and the ability to to you know to work everything with their smaller hands you know reaching the safety if there's a safety or the magazine release you know a slide lock things like that yeah. so those are usually the the areas where there can be some frustration and finally but not not least is Racking a slide, always just a challenge. You know, women do not have the upper body strength or the hand strength that most men have. So learning the proper technique is key, is key uh, for a woman in, in, in racking that frustration. Uh, and so the walvers are always really smooth, a little lighter, this, the CCP. Mm-hmm. The, LC, the new LC9S has, has a really smooth slide, one that isn't, isn't a real challenge. And the six hours, the 238 and the 938, both have very easy operating slides. Mm-hmm. So just a little less tension in that spring, 
is something that women are looking for. Well, that makes sense, but that, that goes for anybody too, because you know yeah. the, the, yeah. the things have changed. You know, there used to be the standard um, semi-auto back in in the, the army combat days was your forty-five nineteen eleven. It's a big heavy mm-hmm. gun. It was carried in an outside holster, and with concealment, it's a whole different thing. You know, it's one thing for police to be able to and and uh, service folks to be able to carry in an outside holster. It's something else. You know, to be able to to carry uh, concealed, so a single stack mm-hmm. makes sense. Nine millimeters, roughly equivalent to a thirty-eight, and that was the standard police round for decades. So you're not you're not mm-hmm. you know carrying underpowered, as they say. And right. and semi-autos is simpler. You you take a Glock over nineteen eleven. You got a four part. You got a barrel. You got a spring. You got a slide. You got a a, a, a handle or grip. You know, and it's easier mm-hmm. for everybody to maintain. So the switch to semi-autos makes a whole lot of sense. We got Sandra on the yeah. line. I want to take her call right away. Uh, Sandra, Great. go ahead. Hi, good morning. I just turned on a few minutes ago. I wish I'd heard, uh, you know, all of your show. I have my concealed carry. Uh, I am a, a widow, and um, I know what gun I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what gun I want to get. But I have a question. What about lasers? Because if somebody breaks into my house at night or something, you know, and your adrenaline's going and all that, um, what's your feeling about lasers? Because I want to make sure I hit the biggest part and take them down. Great question, Sandra. Thanks for calling in, and, and I'm sorry you missed the first part, but, but we can catch up later somehow. It's such a great question, um, you know, especially at night in the home. I mean, you know, these decisions are all personal decisions, and training obviously is, is, is involved for you. But, um, you know, getting a a flashlight with a laser, having both, especially at home at night, so you can you can light up that target and verify that you know that that is the bad guy and not just a drunk neighbor coming in the door, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and I think I think the important thing to, to remember, Sandra, is that any any tool like that still is a, is a mechanical tool and it can fail. So we always want to make sure that we're trained if, if for some reason that laser doesn't work or the flashlight doesn't work. But I do think that those can be really great tools to have on your firearm, especially for um, home defense, uh, just to help to help you identify that that target and make sure that you hit that target in those in those moments that you have to protect yourself. Um, you know, there's some discussion on you know whether that gives your location away and all of that. So you know, which is is valid. You know, once you once you light that laser, they now know exactly where you are, uh, and so being trained in when to use it and how to use it and when to verify that target and pull the trigger to protect yourself is really important. They may know where you are anyway. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, Sandra's gone. She's listening on, on the air. But we have to take a break real quick. We're going to come back and uh, more questions. And why do people don't wait till the last minute, folks? 852 here. Carrie Light with my guest. We'll be back. Imagine an inspired moment when you were so happy that a smile spilled all over your face. If you hide your smile because you're too embarrassed, well, hide no longer and take action now. White Smile's general dentistry is a judgment-free zone. Our job is to give you back that smile. I'm Dr. Ben White, and I want to hand you that mirror and see the smile you haven't seen in years. Let our team at White Smile's General Dentistry help. We're located on 12th Avenue in East Hill, Pensacola, or call us at 912-8877. 
Our local elected officials started it, and now we must stop it at the federal level. There's a bill working its way through Congress to take away public ownership of Pensacola and Navarre beaches. The bill was sponsored by local Congressman Matt Gates, and one Santa Rosa County commissioner actually helped write it. Matt Gates deliberately left out any protection for conservation and public lands on Navarre Beach, and the people of Santa Rosa County had no idea they were doing it. Call Senator Nelson and tell him Navarre Beach belongs to the public. 202-224-3121. How do you know your child loves you? When he calls and he says, uh, Dad, why don't we um, go fishing? It's very simple, but it, it really counts. They make a song up and they come into my bedroom and say, we made a song and will you listen? Our next oldest daughter came with tears in her eyes and she said, Daddy, I just thank you for coming home every night when we were growing my up. My son does the nicest things. When he's playing outside, he'll come in and just give me a hug and run right back outside. My daughter goes to the same high school that I'm the registrar at and I'll go into my office after the bell has rung and there's a note on my desk. And it'll usually say, Mom, I love you. I'm thinking about you. And I you. think of my boy that uh, we finally got him through graduation. And he came up to me and said, I made it. Thanks. Family. Isn't it about time? That's all he said. And that meant everything to me. From the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's the thing about shooting. It's fun. Isn't that a great revelation? Thanks, Adok. Isn't that a great revelation for women when they go the first time to the range? Shooting a gun is really fun. Oh, they love it. They love it. The looks and the face, you know, oh, it's just an amazing sight to see to, to see her go from, you know, really nervous and fearful to that, oh, my gosh, that was awesome look on her face. It's, we see it all the time. Yeah. And it can happen to anybody out there, too. You just got to give it a try. Just try it. Take a woman to the shooting range. You know, let's uh, yes. help the cause out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that helped me uh, develop a lot of my skills uh, was competition. And are there women's competitions? Are women encouraged to compete? Uh, what's going on in that world? We only have a couple minutes left. Yeah, we actually, we're really working on engaging women in competition and kind of breaking down the barriers that keep them from it. You know, there's a lot of intimidation. I'm not good enough, whatever. And we're seeing a lot of women. I mean, we have like Julie Gala. Oh, we've got such amazing... Uh, women out there mm-hmm. as role models, uh, it's a great way to train and it's a great way to hone those skills under that pressure. And the shooting community, as you know, because you, you do some competing, mm-hmm. it's so friendly. They're yep. so welcoming and they're there to help you. And so I encourage it. IDPA, any of, the, any of those shooting sports, it's just a great way to have a blast and, and hone your skin, your skills. Yeah, because you're doing everything you can't do in the regular range. You're drawing, firing, right. cover, use, right. you know, all the things. They try, especially IDPA tries to make the scenarios as realistic as possible. And if you do that and you see how it works, you realize limitations that you wouldn't see at the range. You're going to gain a tremendous amount of knowledge from uh, from competition That's right. as well. And the, the stress of, of a timer, you know, mm-hmm. the stress of doing that, that gets all your adrenaline running, you know, and all of those, you know, things that happen to our bodies under stress is the same whether it's good stress or bad stress. So you get, you get to feel like, what does it feel like to be moving and shooting with, when my body is, is under stress? Yeah. Also, you have a, a, a new, if we can break some news here, a warrior woman workout. We do, yes. And hopefully that will be out here in the next month. We're trying to get it out by Christmas. But this is, a really, it, this is new, and it's never been done before, and it's a comprehensive workout program that focuses on 
developing the skills and the muscle memory for self-defense, you know, with or without a firearm, but, but, you know, uh, it just reinforces that. So we go through some scenarios together. We break that down. We start to, we then teach some of the tactical maneuvers, if you will, and then that leads into the whole workout program. So you're working out, you're taking care of your body, and you're also working and, and building that, that muscle men memory to draw your firearm in self-defense or maneuver and around cover and concealment and, or, 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 you know, or to strike or block an attacker up close. I'm really excited about it. It really is, is kind of groundbreaking, and I think it's really going to be a great opportunity for women to, again, become the best self-protectors they can be and get in good shape, too. Yeah, and we have to go in just a, just a few seconds here, but first I want to thank you for coming on the show. We should do, like, maybe a Christmas show or, you know, or the next time there's a, the SHOT show, whatever, you know, specific products for, for, uh, for women sure. or things like that. But it's been a pleasure to have you on here. really appreciate it. Any, any last oh, the closing? Been all mine. Oh, good. Any contact information? One last thing. You just have a few seconds left. Uh, TheWellArmedWoman.com. You can get everywhere from there, so just go to the website. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. Thank Appreciate you, Greg. It. Take care now. You too. And uh, we're probably working together on some action radio stuff. We have some legislation things in the works and a bunch of other things going on as well. Carrie Lightfoot uh, of The Well-Armed Woman. Again, you can find that. Uh, it's on my Facebook page. I posted her page, The Well-Armed Woman, uh, LLC. You'll find that. And uh, tomorrow's The Creek Show. And so we're going to talk about the powwow coming up this weekend uh, and all the good things that are happening. And I'll be back uh, tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock. Thank you for listening. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. So meanwhile, back to present day, um, I made a mistake. Let me say that again. I made a mistake. Just in case you didn't hear it, I made a mistake. <laughs> I uploaded the wrong one. I, uh, you had recently heard commercials there, and that was the, it was about 10 minutes longer than it should have been because I goofed. Um, I, somehow I uploaded the wrong one, I think I had both the original with commercials and the version that I had edited, uh, which took out the commercials and uploaded the one with the commercials, which defeated the purpose of editing them out. So it was about 10 minutes longer than it should have been. And so what I'm going to do is, is uh, you know, go back and, and delete that one, that episode. Well, I'm not going to take it off the podcast, obviously. Uh, it'll be there with the commercials. And so what I'll do is I'll edit that uh, audio clip so that I put the right one in. So if I ever play an interview again, which I probably will, it's a really good interview, um, that um, it will be uh, it'll be commercial less. <laughs> so for all those companies that's got the free advertising, um, I highly suggest if you you know if you want to to go to our givesendgo.com/actionradio site uh, and contribute to Action Radio since I gave you a bunch of free <laughs> for a bunch of free airplay. That would be givesendgo.com/actionradio. So feel free to contribute to us because I goofed. I didn't intend to play those commercials, and I don't want to. I mean, it's not it's not fair to us, not fair to them, not fair to. I just don't like doing it. And that's why I edit them out. But again, I goof. So I'll be very careful to never do that again. All right. We have a few minutes left here. And so let me talk about uh, something that, uh, you know, just uh, just came to light, you know, hot off the presses, uh, breaking news, as they say, even though this, this particular article um, from the U.S. Justice Department, a misnomer, which we use off all the time. Uh, so Thursday, January 7th. And the Department of Justice uh, released a, a, um, a finding or a, or a decision or something. This is Boeing charged with 737 MAX fraud conspiracy and agrees to pay over $2.5 billion. Now, I didn't know they, they, uh, they agreed to pay $2.5 billion until I read the story. 
uh, from the Justice Department, because I've read other stories on this, and I don't think they mentioned um, this particular uh, fine, <laughs> shall we call it. Um, but I think some of the folks have been indicted. There's, there's further stories on this. But anyway, this is the current one, and I'm going to probably pick this up Monday. But uh, this is the, it's a, so the Justice Department has their own press release. It's from the Office of Public Affairs, which is kind of interesting. Oh, boy. Guess what they get to announce? You know, Boeing charged with 737 MAX fraud conspiracy agrees to pay over $2.5 billion. The Boeing company uh, it says, has entered into an agreement with the Department of Justice to resolve a criminal charge related to a conspiracy to defraud the Federal Aviation Administration's Aircraft Evaluation Group, the FFAAEG, in connection with FAA's AEG's evaluation of the Boeing 737 MAX airplane. So let me tell you what I know about this airplane. Uh, it should not be flying, as far as I'm concerned, because they didn't do the right thing with it. What they did, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making that an official judgment. It's not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm just saying I don't think it should be flying. All right. It's just my personal opinion on this. And the reason I don't think so is because they tried to, rather than design a new airplane, they tried to make, they tried to make a small airplane bigger. <laughs> and when they did that, uh, they changed certain things, and they didn't change other things. And one of the things they didn't change uh, was the was the engine. You know, uh, they made bigger engines, but the, that made those engines close to the ground. Uh, I think the the CG is different. The thrust line is different. They they just basically tried to, you know, morph. It's like when they had the old DC-8 stretch jets before the jumbo jets came in uh, in the late '60s. They took DC-8s, which is equivalent to your 707, 100, 150 passengers, depending on uh, depending on the on the configuration. They cut it before the wing. They cut it after the wing. And they made it longer. I mean, they look really ridiculous. I'm not sure how they were allowed to do this, but they did. Anyway, so they called them the Stretch 8. And so these Stretch 8 jets had 150 to 200 people. So they just added extra people. Now, I'm sure they added extra engine capacity and maybe fuel. I don't know. They had the same wings. So it looks like they had the same wings. They just added airplanes. So they morphed it into something different. Well, if you ever flew on one, the thing was so long and thin that they kind of like fish down the runway and they'd shake a little bit and the engines would kind of wobble on the wings. And it was really, it was an interesting experience. And so I only flew, flew on them a few times. Uh, not my favorite airplane. I, I'm still a 707 fan. You know, used, a friend of mine was a flight attendant who used to say, don't board unless it's Boeing. Well, Boeing seems to have lost their way. And so this is a huge problem because the, the Boeing Aircraft Corporation that we came to rely on with the best airplane ever made, I think the 707, uh, and then the, 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 the 747, the, the second best airplane ever made, uh, until you get back to the prop jobs and you go to the Douglas DC-3, uh, which is the best uh, propeller airplane ever made. <laughs> you know, so... But the 707 and 747 and 727 too, great airplanes. 737, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's there. It's okay. Um, but it was, uh, it was the twin engine version, the smaller version, the short haul version of the 727. And so what they did was they made the 737 bigger so they could have a two engine airplane do what the three engine 727 used to do. It's funny, the, the 737 has the two engines and the 727 has the three engines. That's just the way it worked out. Anyway, uh, but that's what happened. 727, wonderful airplane, big flaps, you know, and those things could take off quickly, and they were, they were quite, uh, quite impressive. All right, anyway, so I digress. But back in the old days, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, Boeing made the airplanes in the world. 707, 727, 737, early versions. 747, 757, 767, 777, great airplanes. I don't know why we don't have 757s and 767s, because the, seven, the, the 757, pretty much carries the same capacity as the 737 MAX. So why did they do it? You know, the problem with 757, I remember, uh, was that, it was, first of all, it was a sports car. It was a really powerful airplane. 
so they had a, they had a good power to weight ratio, as they say, but it also left terrible wake turbulence. In other words, the 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 vortices that came off the wing were some of the strongest uh, in, in aviation history. And any little airplane that got caught in them, you know, even like business jets, would be rolled. <laughs> if you're in the wake of a, a 757, they were just really bad. But they could have fixed that with you know little winglets, you know, those little tails they put at the end of the wings. That would have taken care of it rather than go all the, all the trouble of, of making a good airplane, the 737, a bad airplane by making it a 737 MAX. So there's a little aviation history for you, but that's what happened. That's how they screwed up. So the Justice Department comes along and finds them $2.5 billion for fraud, and they should. Don't lie to the FAA about your airplane. Don't cover it up. And this is, this is not the Boeing uh, that was run by pilots. This is not the Boeing that was run by you know, people that love the airlines. This is the Boeing that's run by uh, bean counters <laughs> you know, and, and corporate uh, board executives that serve on many different boards. And they're only interested in maximizing profits. So why would they go to the trouble and expense of building a new airplane when they can take an old one and just make it bigger? Well, because it doesn't work. That's why. <laughs> and some of them have crashed, and that's the problem. So back to what the Justice Department said. So they said, Boeing, a U.S.-based multinational corporation that designs, manufactures, and sells commercial airplanes to airlines worldwide, entered into a deferred prosecution agreement, a DPA, in connection with a criminal information with a criminal information, not, not investigation, this is criminal information filed today in the Northern District of Texas. The criminal information charges the company with one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States. Under the terms of the DPA, Boeing will pay a total criminal monetary amount of, of over $2.5 billion, composed of a criminal monetary penalty of $243.6 million, compensation payments to Boeing 737 MAX airline customers, those are the ones assumed uh, who died uh, of 1.77 billion and an estimated 500 million dollar. Oh, there it is. No, the crash victim beneficiaries fund. So they pay uh, 2.243 20, million compensation. Uh, they pay uh, 1.77 billion airline customers and 500 million dollars. Seems like the, <laughs> the crash victims get the short end of this one. Uh, uh, you know, to compensate heirs, relatives, and legal beneficiaries of the 346 passengers who died in the Boeing 737 MAX crashes of Lion Air Flight 610 and Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. Interesting. Uh, the quote is, the tragic crashes of Lion Air Flight 610 and Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 exposed fraudulent and deceptive conduct by the employees of one of the world's leading commercial airplane manufacturers. And that's Acting Commissioner uh, Acting Assistant Attorney General David P. Burns of the Justice Department's Criminal Division. Boeing's employees chose the path of profit over candor by concealing material information from the FAA concerning the operation of its 737 MAX airplane and engaging in an effort to cover up their deception. This resolution holds Boeing accountable for its employees' criminal misconduct, addresses the financial impact to Boeing's airline customers, and hopefully provides some measure of compensation to the crash victims' families and beneficiaries. Well, that's interesting. So, so 2.43, uh, 243 million for the government. Uh, 1.77. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, 1.77 billion to the to the. Oh, let me start again. <laughs> 2.5 billion dollars opposed out criminal monetary penalty. So 243.6 million is the penalty. Uh, 1.77 billion goes to the airline, the airlines, you know, for the Boeing 737, but only 500 million, uh, only twice the penalty goes to the crash victims. I just found that interesting. All right. Anyway, okay. The, the misleading statements, half-truths and omissions communicated by Boeing employees to the FAA impeded the government's ability to ensure the safety of the flying public. 
and that's U.S. Attorney Aaron Neely Cox for the Northern District of Texas. This case lends a clear message. The Department of Justice will hold manufacturers like Boeing accountable for defrauding regulators, especially in industries where the stakes are this high. It says today's deferred prosecution uh, agreement holds Boeing. You see, they didn't go to trial. Can you imagine what the fine would have been if they went to trial? <laughs> this, this is like, okay, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. You know, let, let, let's just pay our way out of this, right? Now, are you ever going to trust Boeing again with a new airplane? I'm not. Why would you? You know, if this is the new company, until they prove they can, you know, the next new airplane that comes out, I know the FAA is going to look at it very suspiciously. They're going to go over with a fine-tooth comb. I'm surprised they've okayed the 737 MAX. Personally, I don't know if I want to fly on one. You know, but you don't really have a choice. You know, you kind of get what the, the airlines give you. You know, it's, you, don't, you don't pick and choose, unless you pick an airline that doesn't fly them. It's probably your best bet. But you got some other airplanes that are out there. Anyway, um, old 737s, no problem. Um, what else? 757s, I wish they had them. 767s, they might have been phased out too. 777, no problem. 747, no problem. Uh, Airbus, I don't have much experience on Airbus. I think I've only been on one time on an Airbus. Usually I pick, you know, Boeing, or, or I had Boeing, you know, flown airlines. Most of uh, United States Airlines are, are Boeing. Although Sully, Sully Sullenberg, he was flying an Airbus. And uh, apparently it uh, does well landing in the river, which, uh, which, is, which is interesting too. All right, so it says the, today's deferred prosecution agreement holds Boeing uh, and its uh, employees accountable for the lack of candor. There we read that. We continue to mourn for the families, loved ones, and friends of the 346 individuals who perished on Lion Air Flight 610 and Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302. Now, it's interesting. I'm not sure where Lion Airlines is, but it's not a major world airline. Ethiopian Airlines is, is probably fairly small, too. So the question is, what was going on at these smaller airlines? They had problems that American uh, and maybe British, German, French, you know, larger companies, you know, I don't know if China buys them. They probably make their own version. You know, why were they able to do this and, and get around some of these problems? Are the pilots better? Was the maintenance better? I don't know. Something changed. Anyway, uh, it says here, all right, so there's a bunch of, there's more information here. I'm just kind of, you know, ending it rather quickly. It says, let me get the last paragraph. The department, that's the Department of Justice, ultimately determined that an independent compliance monitor was unnecessary based on the following factors, among others. Oh, so they're not going to independently monitor their compliance with FAA FAA regulations? That's interesting. (laughs) It says, one, the misconduct was neither pervasive across the organization nor undertaken by a large number of employees uh, nor facilitated by senior management. So this is the top people did this, right? And this is two, although two of Boeing 737 MAX flights technical pilots deceived the FAA, AEG, about the MCAS, uh, unless that's the, the, the something collision avoidance system, uh, uh, by way of misleading statements, half-truths and omissions, other, others in Boeing disclosed MCAS's expanded operational scope to different FAA personnel who are responsible for determining whether the 737 MAX met U.S. federal airworthiness standards. So that's, what the, that's probably how they got caught. Okay, They got caught because the test pilots and the, 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 chief, the chief operating folks you know, told the FAA one thing, and the regular line employees said, no, no, here's the truth. <laughs> they didn't know they were lying. They didn't know they were telling you that uh, why wouldn't they tell the truth? They probably always have. So the regular employees did what they normally do. They disclose everything. Here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. Here's, you know, what do you think? Uh, and, but uh, the top folks, you know, the, the bean counters said, oh, no, everything's fine. <laughs> everything's great. You know, the vaccine is safe and effective. Same problem, right? Okay, anyway. Uh, but you can't hold them liable. So you can't hold Boeing liable because they don't have product immunity like, like the vaccine manufacturers do. All right. Anyway, it says MCAS. Three, 
the state of Boeing's remedial improvements to its compliance program and internal controls and for Boeing's agreement to enhance compliance program reporting requirements as described above. So in other words, they said, we'll be good from now on. And so they don't go to trial. It's kind of too bad, really. This sounds like something that should go to trial. Anyway, it says the Chicago field offices of the FBI and DOTOIG investigated the case. That would be the Office of Inspector General with the assistance of other FBI and DOTOIG field offices. What's the FBI doing in this? I'm just curious. Maybe that's, uh, they're just using that as the investigative arm. Uh, I think the FAA would be more appropriate. Then it says trial attorneys Corey E. Jacobs and Scott Armstrong and Assistant Chief Michael T. O'Neill of the Fraud Section and Assistant U.S. Attorney Chad E. Meacham of the Northern District of Texas are prosecuting this case. So they're not done. There's more to it. Right? This is why I want to get to the end of the article. Individuals who believe they, have, they may be an heir, relative, or legal beneficiary of one of the Lion Air Flight 610 or Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 passengers, in this case, should contact the fraud section's victim witness unit by email at victimassistance.fraud at usdoj.gov or gov. So again, victimassistance.fraud at usdoj.gov. Or you can call them at 888-549-3945. That's 888-549-3945. One of the few times I'll actually go along with the Justice Department and go, hey, good, good job, guys. <laughs> Get the fraud. Um, so that's good. There's something else that I should point out also. And I got just a couple of minutes left to do this. And then uh, this is from Steve Kirsch's newsletter. There's another FAA you know, problem. It's my 90-second warning. Uh, and then I'll talk about some of the other things that are going on uh, with Boeing uh, next week. But it says, this one uh, from Steve Kirsch says, the FAA has very quietly, tacitly admitted that the EKGs, you know, the electrocardiographs of pilots are no longer normal. We should be concerned, very concerned. This has been reported earlier, but I never really talked about it in detail. So Steve Kirsch says, after the vaccine rollout, uh, the FAA secretly widened the EKG parameter range for pilots so they wouldn't be grounded. It looks like the vax grave at uh, least 50 million Americans, uh, oh, the vax gave, excuse me, I, I got another warning in my head. It says, it looks like the vax, V-A-X, gave at least 50 million Americans heart damage. That's massive. So let me read this part again. The, the FAA secretly widened the EKG parameter. In other words, they lowered the standards for pilots so they wouldn't be grounded. So the FAA, you know, more in the interest of business than safety, changed the way they measured hearts with an EKG so that more pilots wouldn't be grounded. Well, that I make you feel really comfortable next time you go flying on an airliner. It says, it says uh, special thanks. I was tipped uh, off about this story by Josh Yoder uh, at U.S. Freedom Flyers. Guess who our guest is in two weeks? Josh Yoder. This is going to be really cool. He says, he says, please consider making a donation on their website. Great. Well, please consider making a donation to uh, givesendgo.com slash action radio as well. So he says, update uh, 117, so two days, three days ago. When asked about the change, the FAA couldn't justify it. Uh-oh. Fact checkers aren't going to like this story. <laughs> All right, here we go. So here's the latest update, 11823. Vaccines are the leading causes of coincidences, it seems. I just received this note. And it says here, Steve, I am a 66-year-old commercial aviator. No previous heart problems. On January 6th, my first-class medical was deferred due to a second AB block, Mobitz type 2. And this is a C picture of EKG with diagnosis. I am asymptomatic. I received both Moderna injections, March and April 2021, no booster. He says, I'm an ex-endurance athlete, road bike racer, and do not have uh, and do not and have not taken any routine medication. 
I'm awaiting an appointment with cardiologist next week. Says, coincidentally, my wife suffered a severe heart attack in May 2021, eight days after her first Moderna injection. She had no previous history of heart problems. Thank you for writing. So here we go. I'll finish this and I'll be done for today. Executive summary. In the October 2022 version of the FAA Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, the FAA quietly widened the EKG parameters beyond the normal range from a PR max of 0.2 to unlimited. They didn't widen it. They completely took away the boundary. <laughs> what do you mean widened? They, they destroyed it. <laughs> this is interesting. And then it says, um, and it says uh, that widened it by a lot. Yeah. It says they didn't widen it by a little. They widened it by a lot. Uh, it was done after the vaccine rollout. Well, of course. They didn't have to do it before it. Uh, he says this is extraordinary. They did it hoping nobody would notice. It worked for a while. Nobody caught it. But you can't hide these things for long. This is a tacit admission from the U.S. government that the COVID vaccine has damaged the hearts of our pilots. Not just a few pilots, a lot of pilots uh, and a lot of damage. Well, because they required it, right? Couldn't fly without the, without the jab? Well, they can't fly with it either. This is the cardiac harm. That's me talking. Back to the article. The cardiac harm, of course, is not limited to pilots. He says, my best guess right now is that over 50 million Americans sustained some amount of heart damage from the shot. That's a lot of people who will be very upset when they realize the vaccine they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked in reverse, making it. Uh, it says here, uh, one, more people, more likely is making, oh, let me start that sentence again. So what happens when I read things cold. <laughs> he says, that's a lot of people who will be very upset when they realize the vaccine they took to reduce their chance of dying from COVID actually worked in reverse, making it, one, more likely that people will get COVID. Two, be hospitalized from COVID and other diseases. Three, die from COVID and other diseases. And four, you also have an excellent chance of getting a lifetime of heart damage for no extra charge. He says, but don't worry, you can't sue them. They fixed the law, so none of them are, are liable, uh, unless doctors, drug companies, the government. After all, you took the vaccine of your own free will, right? It's not like you were forced or coerced to take it or anything like that. And there were plenty of people warning you not to take the shots, including me. <laughs> In fact, everybody at Action Radio, right? Even though they censored most of them. Yeah, me. <laughs> In this article, I will explain the evidence and thinking behind all my claims. As I learn more, I will refine the estimates. So he's got, the article goes on. It's just quite an extensive article. And I post it everywhere. But go to Steve Kirsch's newsletter, uh, and this would be the one from January 17th. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. But uh, what we all told you was true. Okay? What we said is that uh, very clearly that this was dangerous, that this was experimental, that they have no idea what it's going to do, and that, was no, that you can't make a vaccine in less than uh, 15 to 20 years to prove its safety. Okay? So anything less than that is a joke. So why would anybody take it? Well, because they said you'd be fired without it. Okay? What's more valuable, you know, your, your career as much as you love it or your life? You know, and I knew that this would be reversed. I knew it would change within a couple of years, and it has. I said, look, just leave your job. Go away. They're going to they're gonna call you back, whatever, whether a health professional or airline pilot, because they can't fly without you. It takes too long to train people, and it's too experienced a position. So they can't do without all the pilots. The ones that, you know who the most desirable pilots are right now? The ones that didn't take the jab. The charter pilots, corporate pilots, things like that, that, uh, that didn't go for this. Anyway, that's what's going on. So let me just uh, give our websites once again real quickly here, and I'll be back Monday at uh, 7 o'clock. We've got a guest, uh, Rebecca Hardy. I was going to be my guest Monday, which is going to be great fun. She, I don't know the exact title of the organization. It's a Texas uh, vaccine choice organization, and I'll get more details 
as I uh, get ready to talk to her for Monday. So you're listening to Action Radio, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature at blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Our legislative website is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And to contribute to us, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. That's givesendgo.com slash actionradio. And, of course, you can uh, find us all over Facebook. Uh, you know, my name, Greg Pangloss. You can email at uh, greg at writeyourlaws.com. And that should get you going. Let's give you a little 1812 overture to uh, take you into your weekend. And I'll see you Monday morning, 7 a.m. Central Time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.